everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. When you're working with basketball players, recognize that it is tank top season all year round. This is your end to getting them to lift with some intent in the weight room. And of course, there are a few things that professional athletes like more than playing their sport making a shit ton of money and looking jacked on game day. Corey Schlesinger has had a remarkable 10 years of working with high-level collegiate athletes from Wake Forest to Stanford, and now he is with the Phoenix Suns and slinging kettlebells like it is no one's business. In all seriousness, Corey has spent an enormous amount of time studying basketball mechanics and determining the best tools to use in the weight room to enhance that performance. No surprise that he's a Cal Deeds convert, a barefoot enthusiast, and a belt squat believer. He's also really good at seamlessly bantering with the crew, noting that Luke's questionable taste in movies is probably just a carryover from his high school years of souping up mediocre cars. Here it is, episode 361. What's happening? This is Luke. Tex, hello. And friend of the podcast. Thanks for joining us today, John. Thank you for having me. Well-born. Mustache is looking good, man. Um, Uh, I actually had somebody compliment me on my mustache today. You did? You've been getting a lot of compliments. I don't think you're hearing them, though. Uh, No, I went to go... uh, Oh, stranger. Civilian. So as I went to go... uh, I went to the Rossi to have Tony, uh, my guy, work on my shoulder. And as I was leaving... One of the girls that works there, one of the, she walks by, she's like, great mustache. Whoa. And, I, and, and uh, I, I was like, you mean this disgusting, <laughs> uh, sleazy, like extra hair on my lip? Because this isn't great. And she was like, uh, I was just trying to pay you a compliment. I'm like, no, we don't do that around here. Yeah. Go on like with your how, I liked your pointing technique. It went way wide oh, yeah. into the mustache. Well, well you, you can't just do this. You got to go. Yeah. 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 Twist to the end. Uh, well, if Kelly, I ever get a compliment, Kelly, I'm gonna... uh, Kelly asked me, she's like, are you going to grow it out so you can twist it on the end like an evil supervillain? I'm like, yeah. Now I am. Now because now. Now you called it, I am. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into the grooming hour on Power you, Athlete Radio. Do you feel like Power Athlete Radio yes. is benefiting from Brew with the Crew by getting us all warmed up, ready to go? Or do you think it's siphoning off any of our extra? Here's the problem. I'm giving everything I've got. On the brew in the radio, and I go home to my family, and I have nothing. I have nothing for them, <laughs> and they just watch me as I sit on the couch. It's just an empty shell empty of who shell used to of be. Man, my poor daughter is just like, what happened probably to Daddy? Has her first words. I'm not even paying attention. My wife is slaving over dinner. <laughs> who is indis- uh, has an indiscriminate? Uh, this is not well thought out. Indiscriminate <laughs> condiment just, application to just sausages. Go, just go with it. Just go with it. No, I got a problem with my wife. You know, I'm going to air it. We oh, had literally three on the air. Different sausages last night, John. Ooh. Three different sausages. Which that's not the problem. That's actually was. Yeah, I'm, I, I don't know why you'd be upset about three different we types of sausage. First, we had a beer brought. Mm. Cook, all cooked in the same pan. Uh, no, grilled. Oh, okay. So grilled, separate burners. I had all separate burners going. I like to cook the brats hot. Mm-hmm. I liked it. And then we had a uh, spicy Italian sausage, which is a medium high. And then we had the steak classy bison sausage, mm-hmm. which is like mixed Excellent. with a little pork. Excellent. And I did that on like a medium. So, and they all, sh- I get that they all are sharing the same heat, but I feel that the flame, ir- this is not the point. The point is we got the condiments out. Right? So we got a little, like, tomato gravy for the Italian sausage. 
We got some mustard and kraut for the brats, right? We had a little bit of yellow mustard. And I watched my wife put an Italian sausage on her plate onto one of the Udi's buns, gluten-free buns, mm-hmm. and put sauerkraut and mustard on it. Oh, on an Italian sausage. Yeah. And I was appalled. <laughs> Your head popped off. I was. Spun around three times. And like, listen, so she's not eating. So if she eats tomato and the baby nurses, yeah, like yeah, yeah. upsets her stomach. So I get why she didn't use the tomato. But she had a bratwurst there, which is built for mustard, the mustard in the kraut. Yeah. And I'm like, you don't do this when friends are over. This is weird. Like, I'm telling you, you can't be putting mustard and kraut on Italian sausage. Like, that's supposed to be... That's cross-pollinating countries. No, you can't do it. Exactly. And I was, given the, I was giving a lesson to these guys today um, about this. Well, I guess I was just yelling at them. Yeah, so uh, that's what I'm well, going to tonight. What's Another weird is, is they just... Uh, who, who are yelling at Tex and uh, the intern? Yeah. Oh, yeah. What are they, like, cooking? Hot dog, uh, hot dog wieners? I was eating elk. Yeah, oh, thank okay. you very much. <laughs> Elk sausage? Uh, with mustard, which set Mr. Luke Summers off this morning. So. He's not a mustard guy, huh? No, I'm fine with mustard on patties. I li- like, I, in, I do like mustard. Um, but on an Italian sausage, which led me to, like... Well, what, have you, what have do you try to... What do you, oh, what do you no. think goes on an Italian sausage? I mean, usually peppers. I'd say peppers, maybe onions if you're into that. Onions and peppers. Yep. Grip. And and you need a kind of a stale hard bun. Yes. So so to be like a real Italian sausage, so you can the bun is got, yeah the bun's got to so be hard. Fall apart like dissolve and fall. Yeah. Apart. No, it's got to be like a little hard on the bun, like too soft a bun on an Italian deal, bad deal. So that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying about that. And then uh, I got You know, I'm mad for you. This is upsetting. But then I I was enlightened by something in my, in regaling these guys that were just really didn't want to hear me talk. Uh, I realized there was no universal condiment for sausage, but there's a universal accoutrement is what I was calling it at least. You could grind cheese into almost any type of sausage and it would be a welcomed addition. I'm talking cheesy brats. I'm talking cheesy Italians. I'm tra- talking cheesy beef franks. I'm talking cheesy buffalo sausage. If it were cheesy and you're cheese, like you like cheese, it'd be a welcomed addition. So, like, would you call somebody that liked a lot of cheese a cheese dick? No, that would be a cheese stick. A cheese, cheese stick. stick. Ah, yeah. sorry, sorry. You, you're <laughs> a cheese stick. You're a cheese stick. You're a cheese stick. <laughs> But, oh so God! I, to it. That was another one of my favorites. Uh, no, it might it might wind us up, but I have noticed that all of our podcasts since starting the brew have gone two plus hours. Well, so, it, originally the brew with the crew was supposed to be fifteen minutes. minutes. Now we're pushing an hour plus. That I think went we need very quickly fifteen, twenty, sixty. What? <laughs> uh, yeah, I remember us time boxing it. And then after day one, just threw out. Yeah. Why don't we? Do, why don't we tell? Why don't we see if we can get the brew crew back to fifteen minutes? All right. Unless it's a Friday, and then we're drinking beers. <laughs> well, tomorrow's Friday, so it's back up. <laughs> Forget about that, ladies and gentlemen. If you don't know what we're talking about, we have been doing well. Instagram. When is this? This is going to be mid-May. Mid-May. <sighs> so we are doing Instagram live shows and have been for the past few weeks. And uh, that's at 6 a.m. before training. And we just get some banter going. And then we, that's our shtick, as I like to call it. And then after that, we feel the question from the, uh, oh, no, people are probably going to the page trying to submit questions. And I didn't launch it. All right, cut it off. Get, get to it. All right, so long story short is um, 
Where is it going with this? Nobody knows. Tune, oh, tune yeah. in. We tune catalog in. all of the episodes on, on YouTube. YouTube. So in case you missed it and you love us. You do. And you don't troll us like the penguin. Mm-hmm. You have the opportunity to hang out with us, drink s- some big boy sodas with us on Fridays to Liquid talk about awesome. movies. Monday through and Thursday. Then Liquid Awesome. Do we Monday know what our movie Thursday. podcast remarks? We do. Uh, I have it oh, set, John. Awesome. I can't wait. But it's a pretty good one. What I'm even more excited about is the release of our all-new all online course. Yes, that is correct. Academy.PowerAthleteHQ.com now features the fresh off the press ACL, ACL injury, injury prevention. prevention. So this is a 100% tool to empower coaches, parents, sports medicine professionals, mm-hmm. and expand their social intelligence and understanding of injury. So if you are a gym owner or a, a personal trainer, this is your opportunity to educate yourself on strength and conditioning, specifically for protecting your athlete. Mm-hmm. So we break down the neurological injury that is an ACL tear and show you different assessment tools to identify these modifiable risk factors that are present. And then we provide you with the strength and conditioning tools to, to modify the risk factors. Uh, yes. Mitigate the risk factors. Ooh, he's mitigating risk. Yes. To modification r- in the positive sense no, would m- be mitigation. It's trust me. Right. I'm absolutely You're right. a math guy. <laughs> I don't know if mitigating circumstances is the same as is making it the true definition Mitigating is risk. making it less severe. Yeah. Yes. So we are reducing we're buying down risk. We are buying down risk. We yeah, are maybe. reducing risk and we're handing off the tools to help not only you one on one with the athlete, but also communicate to the other stakeholders in an athlete's career. Who are those stakeholders, McQuilkin? We have parents number one. Yes. Commuting to them injury protection for your athlete. Number two, you have the sport coach That's right. that wants to, to take more time for skill versus training. And we talk to how to communicate them to buy time, specifically the warm up. And then if you do get strength and conditioning with them, we pro- provide the accessory work that specifically targets the modifiable risk factors there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then we have the strength coach in themselves to bolt on the tools to bolt on to your already in place strength and conditioning program mm-hmm. that targets specifically the ACL risk factors. And then we have sports medicine professionals. That's right. So if you're aiming to bridge the gap in an athlete's return to play any kind of injury from the foot to the ankle up to the knee and to the hip as we'll, we'll wrap with Corey about today, which is pretty cool and timely for this course launch, but also the sport professional, how to then communicate this, tool and these actionable Mm -hmm. steps that you can take to your parents to help them communicate to the former stakeholders that they have to deal with. So all encompassing course and it was awesome to, to, so what do you like, what you're getting people here is you're getting two plus hours of video instruction from a quick, you're getting an exemplary write up, which we've read through uh, many times for edits and just accuracy and flow. And you are going to walk away armed with a whole new lens over your coach's eye on how to identify risk. And it's not, it's not because you're putting that athlete at risk per se. It's because they are not prepared neurologically to do whatever you're asking them to do. So you need this toolkit to mitigate and buy down that risk ultimately. And it's pretty, I mean, it's so, once you get through it, it's so simple. Like, yeah. it's just like, oh, no. Just incorporate shit. the movements. Yeah. On these days, just like it's laid out. And then 
Bing, bang, boom. Yep, we're viewing it as a movement solution to a movement problem. Right. Some of those movements that are solutions are adding weight that we broke down and through through John's programming piece, mm-hmm. and then the assessment tool, and then my favorite warm ups, giving mm-hmm. them the opportunity to coordinate. And yeah, it's a fun course experience. And then now we get to see it. I think you need to change the warm ups to the woos. The woo. Well, woo. I'll tell you this, because as soon as I see the warm up, I think it's woo. woo. Oh, like Ric Flair. What I did do at college was call them mess ups because I took on these teams that already hated the warm up. So I called them I'll just mess you up. So mobility, elasticity and stability and up. So that was a hit. I like woos. But you have guys, let's do some woos. Stability. And you can Let me hear you say. Woo. Oh, like wad woo. Mm-hmm. Wad woo. Wad warm up people. Um, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. So if you're interested in this course, you want to learn a little bit more, go to academy.powerathletehq.com right there on the front page. Get in there. We're going to have a little sample there for you so you can check it out. Um, And now on to the good stuff and then the better stuff. The good stuff is us ranting about Will Ferrell versus Adam Sandler. Dave Chappelle's genius. The better stuff gets into Dave Chappelle. And the best stuff is Corey. A.K.A. Jazzy Bells regaling us with the benefits of jazzy bells but in all seriousness an awesome talk yeah. with Corey Schlesinger from super the, sharp dude the head coach strength coach head strength coach at the Phoenix Suns who's got a pretty storied resume I mm-hmm. would say so enough about us let's talk more about us in a little bit but then we'll talk <laughs> about Corey uh, let's talk about you so what do you think of me <laughs> okay ladies and gentlemen let's go like, then it came down to so this argument. Ultimately, there was a pretty hard line. I was on the minority of this. And, Corey, I'll just pull you in. Um, okay. Are you an Elf fan, or would you skip it if it were on? No, no, no. I'll reel that one in. Yeah. You're in. You're that, in on that. That would occupy my time. That would occupy my time. Is that your, yeah, in your sure. top five? Is that at least in your top five Will Ferrell movies? Oh, no, not even close. Okay. Um, no, but as far as, like, old, I mean, old Christmas movies like that, mm-hmm. like, yeah, like you, you throw it up on TNT or TBS, and it's just running on that Saturday, and you're like, uh-huh. "Yeah, I'll let that ride." Dude, I'm but out. I'm out on Elf. Me too. Are you really? Yeah, no, not an Elf fan at all. No. Oh, no. dude, Elf can ride. Sorry, that's Elf a good can podcast, ride. Dude. You're off. You're off. But I was in the minority yep. on this. All my buddies were like Elf scrape, blah blah blah. The girl, the new girl, Jess from New Girl, who's the female lead in that, like I guess would save it for me because she's cute and bubbly and like fun to watch. <laughs> but that's about it, man. Like I'd rather. So, Corey, this maybe you can learn a little bit about me. I'd rather watch any Fast and Furious movie, obviously, or Fast and Furious knockoff movie on Netflix than Elf. Is there a Fast and Furious knockoff movie? Tons of Fast and Furious knockoff movies. Really? Yeah, like Redline and... That's the only one I know. <laughs> uh, what's that new Michael Bay one with Ryan Reynolds? Oh, uh, Underground... Six. I yeah. think that's it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, the, the chime in on this. Uh, Bring it. Like... Your level of like, okay, so what that told me is like you were that dude in high school that right. like put the big fin on a car that it shouldn't have uh, it on. Show like them your it. tribal armband. Well, I do yeah. have a tribal. <laughs> yeah, dude, that's what I'm seeing here. But, but, but the crazy you. thing is your arms got so much bigger since you got that that it no longer connects. That's right. That's right. Because I do bicycle you know, that and squat out. rack. That worked out. Uh, now, Corey, number one, I'm not offended by that. I'm a bit flattered. Thank you. Sadly, I was not in the car club. However, I did have a 1999 Sportside Chevy S10 
that I Ooh. wanted to get the extreme. Is this the one you had? I remember in? the extreme. You remember, yeah, I remember the extreme? The extreme. So it I dropped. Yeah, it. It yeah I couldn't afford <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah. So I pimped it out myself and put like just went to Crutchfield on order through the magazine Crutchfield all these like ground effects lights and interior. What a douche. So yeah, no, I was there, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I mean, no offense. Like that. That's no, what I was getting. Uh, he's not offended. Like you, yeah, you don't have to worry about offending Luke. I mean, that when it comes to are... tribal armband oh. and slam mini trucks, Dude, those, that was the best day of my life in '99. <laughs> which minds you, the slam mini truck was cool in like '89, '88. No, no, it was real cool in '99. Yeah, but <laughs> see, this is you what also happens. wore the knockoff affliction shirts. No, 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 no. He was a no fear. He was a no fear guy. No. Even no fear. I was. Um, I wore either a plain white undershirt or plain black undershirt every day through high school, or my jersey. That was basically it. Jeans, my jersey, or flannel shorts, like literally Lebowski. <laughs> Velcro shoes as a statement piece. That oh. was me. Bring it. All right. All right. I was just got like kooky Velcro shoe guy. What What are Velcro shoes? Because you couldn't tie them. No, it's like, well, oh, look at everyone's buying $150 Jordans. I'm going to go to Kmart and buy $10 Velcro shoes. Not what, are, what are Velcro shoes? You know like, what Velcro shoes The ones are? that don't have laces? Yeah. Like, like. Two Velcro strips across geriatrics. the Geriatrics. Yeah. Oh, so, so you guys have been back you. then? No, not in the Midwest. <laughs> oh, man. Like, dude, I, I feel like I've been rocking vans for like 38 years of 40 um, years of my life. People would wear like Adidas, those shell oh. Adidas clams. Shell toes. Yeah, shell toes. Yeah. They would wear Jordans. Oh. I feel like uh, Air Force One got big um, because of that song, Air Force One. <laughs> you mean the movie? No. Get off my plane. They should have been. <laughs> <laughs> Jay Welly, dynamite drop. Uh, hey, okay, let's get out of this. Let's get it. Corey. I think we're, we learned a little bit about you with that tremendous. Now, oh, do you have a tribal armband? No, I, no, I am heavily doubted though. Well, it's just because uh, you got all those cover-ups. <laughs> That's what it is. Those Actually. are just you. You got mad cover-ups so that you could hide your mad tribal armband, or or the butterfly on <laughs> the small of your back that you got on spring break. Tribal. You know, actually, it was barbed wire. <laughs> I did the barbed wire. That's what was, I was hiding. <laughs> I know. I know the the hard choice between the barbed wire and the tribal. I lived it. Lived Dude, it for at least five minutes. When I was in when I was in high school, uh, I don't know if you guys remember, but like Fresno. Uh, had this like pretty good team um, and like it was oh sorry Fresno State and they played in a bowl game and all their offensive linemen were probably like 330 pounds just huge dudes and they all had tri uh, barbed wire tattoos so and, I, and I was like Thought those so guys cool. were so fucking yeah, cool, so cool. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> and like you know, and then Tony Mandarich and the whole like I was like, oh my god, was, was that Trent Dilfer's time at Fresno? Uh, I think so, um, but I just remember all their offensive linemen were just like enormous, and I think that was back in the day when you used to be able to roll your jersey up to show off your huge gut. Oh. Um, and uh, like you. Dude, it was so like college football, dude. Those guys used to be able to hike up their jerseys, and I think they just got rid of it because the offensive linemen that were doing it were disgustingly fat, <laughs> and they were like, this is bad for fucking ratings. Well, they did it. I know Ezekiel Elliott did it in college, so I think it's a new rule because as soon as he got the NFL, it was like a big deal to him anyway mm -hmm. that he couldn't do that with his Cowboys jersey. Yeah, but he's got abs. Like these dudes had like like were just huge bellies, right? And they would like they would like waddle up there, and they all would like had like the matching uh, barbed wire tattoos. So cool. And I remember thinking like, elastic wow. sleeves. Well, <laughs> I guess the trick is you got to pick a number. Like in college, you can pick any number, 
you got to pick like a nine or a six as a big offensive lineman so they don't make that jersey in the 2x it's mm-hmm. just pre-made because the number is usually for a little guy that's yeah true. but offensive lineman can't wear that number or defensive lineman, I know. Well, like in college, in the end, uh, in college, it's weird. Like they, I remember there was defensive linemen that had like any number they wanted, but in the NFL, uh, the numbers are very solid. Like you have yeah, to yeah, wear yeah. ranges. Yeah. Well, Corey, we're going to stop for a second. <laughs> Thanks for joining Power Athlete <laughs> Radio, where we let our guests talk sometimes. Um, so, ladies and gentlemen, we have Corey Schlesinger on. Corey, what we're going to do, and this will lead into much more. You know, cooperative banter. Well, but uh, wouldn't you say our podcast is a little bit different in that we actually have banter and we like to, you know, have a good time and enjoy it? Posts from other podcasts we've been on where list of questions. All they do is just ask you questions, and then you have like the you know the personality of like a wet mop on your face, and you're like, oh god, this is awful. Don't so, talk about Ben yeah. Greenfield like that. <laughs> oh, I thought he was making fun of my mustache. But. Oh. <laughs> I, I really. Uh, you need to. I'm telling you. You need to. Go, what, what is it? Um, uh, just for men. Just you for need men. to get just for men in that thing. Because. But you do have delicate features, so maybe you should get like women's hair dye. What? Prob- I don't know. It's more delicate. <laughs> I, I want a red stash like Corey's. Mm. Ginger. So Corey, enough about us. Yes. Welcome to the show. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, take as literally, literally as much time. And introduce yourself to not only myself, Mr. McQuilkin, and John, uh, but our audience. Uh, simply, uh, just I'm a strength coach, and that's it, man. I mean, I don't try to glorify the name in any other form or fashion. In our industry, it's, man, everybody's changing their titles every other day. You got general physical preparation specialists, you got direct or sports performance specialists, and you got all these things. But, I mean, at the end of the day, I don't think there's anything cooler than being called a strength coach. I think that's the coolest name ever. <laughs> I don't even how, know if there's anything better. How, I mean, when you were a kid and you were like lacing up your, your Converse All-Stars, did you know you wanted to be a strength coach or was this something that stemmed out of an athletic career? Yeah, it stemmed from an athletic career. Um, now, granted, it wasn't a very successful career, um, but I play like the lowest level of college basketball. Like I basically I consider it as extra high school basketball. Uh, but it was, you know, NAI division two, it's like literally the lowest of the low, uh, but they offered scholarships and they thought that my paleness could bring something to the squad. And it did, you know, we were, we we sucked, but it gave me a free education. So I was pretty pumped about it. Um, but yeah, that's, that's essentially where it all started was, um, my own physical preparation because at that level there, that didn't exist. Right. We didn't have string coaches. And so I wanted to go the physical therapy route. Um, and I knew that at an early age, 17, 18. And then I did one little rotation, you know, voluntarily. I'm like, dude, I can't work with old people. Mm-hmm. Like, I just can't do it. Like PT clinics is just, it's just a bunch of people like trying to collect insurance and they got, you know, 20 visits to make you better. And, you know, it's just, it's fraud to a certain degree, but at the same time, it's like, I can't, this is not engaging. Like, and don't get me wrong, there's a lot of satisfaction out there getting someone out of pain, 100%. I'm all for it. People that are legitimately going through things, once again, I'm 100% for it. But what you see is people just taking advantage of the system, and there's no satisfaction or fulfillment in that. And so being in, in athletics at the time and trying to get the best out of myself, it's like, dude, I, man, you tell me I can get paid to lift weights and tell other people to lift weights? Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm down. Well, let's do that. And so that's what I got early or I got started really early age of 18. I was doing internships and then that led to where I'm at today. 
Nice. How, how many internships did you have to get through? And then, and then maybe what was the first gig that came out of that? Yeah. So first internship was at Wake Forest with a gentleman named Ethan Reeve. Brilliant cat, man. Uh, he was, uh, I think, a national champion uh, wrestler, uh, but ended up being a football strength and conditioning coach. But he was a legendary strength coach. I think he's the uh, master strength coach or the head of the CSCCA, which is an affiliate for strength coaches to get their certification process. Um, but this dude was awesome. And he put me down a path really early that I wish I knew what he was trying to teach me at that age because it's come full circle. Like it went from, okay, getting strong to getting this, et cetera, to all of a sudden it's like, oh man, all these things that he was doing, like for example, he had 300 pound linemen doing cartwheels and somersaults and all this stuff. I'm like, what the? Like, why would 300 pound linemen need to do that? And then we're looking back, it's like, you know what? Just owning your body is pretty, pretty good idea other than just externally adding hundreds and hundreds of pounds on your squats. So once again, I uh, started off at Wake Forest University and then concurrently uh, playing college basketball. My school was awesome. My school would actually pay for me to go out and do internships. Whoa. And the only thing I, yeah, they would pay me by the hour, just like I was working at the university. So they would take care of my gas, take care of my housing and just pay me by the hour. I mean, it was obviously like minimum wage, but they would pay for me to go out and get these experiences during the summer. So as a poor college kid, I mean, it just made all the sense in the world. And so then I got to also train with some of you know, ACC high level athletes and got to play pickup with those guys. So, you know, my first year was at Wake Forest. Next summer after that, I was at Carolina and um, they ended up winning the national championship that next year. So I got to be around those cats. You know, I'm sitting there like, holy man, I got to see the best of the best in the world or in, the, in college basketball at that time and got to interact with them and learn um, and learn how they trained. And more importantly, um, and that's where I solidified with my mentor, a guy named Jonas Serration, UNC Chapel Hill, men's basketball. I, I mean, this guy is the ultimate, in my opinion. Now, once again, I'm very biased, but I think he's one of the most brilliant individuals on the planet, especially when it comes to physical preparation of the body uh, for sport. And so leading into the uh, post that, if you will, um, I graduated from college and I had a unique opportunity to get a graduate assistantship just down the street, Campbell University. Um, so fighting camels. So, <laughs> low, once again, low major division one, right? Low major division one, but you know, fresh out of college or fresh out of my undergrad, I got, I had six teams just like that, you know? So a lot of people, when they go through their internships, you know, they try to go for the big names, you know, your big tens, your ACCs or whatever. And then they just get stuck being an assistant of an assistant and they don't really get to run their own program until years later when they finally land that first assistant job, you know, at some low major. And then that's their first experience. Well, for me, it, and I, I was training people while I was in college. I was the strength coach for our college basketball team when I was like player slash coach, AKA Jackie Moon at the situation. Right. <laughs> and so I already had some experience not knowing what the hell I was doing. Granted, like I had no clue what I was doing, but it's just experience being a coach and then rolling right out of college. I had six teams uh, assisted with football and I was able to still drive up the street and help out in North Carolina. So I had that for two years. And now I'm talking about the trenches bro. those were the trenches. You wake up at 430, 45 minute commute. 515 setting up with their football lift then you have football 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 i believe that's how it went then i had my other teams like soccer volleyball then i got to train in the middle of the day 
and then finishing off the rest of the day with swimming, cheerleading I had at one point, and then night school. And so then you get home at about 9, 9 30, 9 or 10 o'clock some nights, and then you repeat that thing all over again for two years straight. And so after that, that enduring process once again that's the beauty about it like when you're young and you're in it you don't know you're in that you don't know it's like oh, this is some undaunting task if someone put me through that task today I'm just, no, no I, don't think I, could, <laughs> I don't think there's any chance i could do that um but yeah from there i was very fortunate to land uh, another internship with the olympic training center um and that was very short-lived i was in colorado springs for about four or five months and what was really cool was obviously I got to get exposed to the world's best athletes. And this is the summer leading into the games. Um, and that's, I mean, it's, it's unfathomable to think that I was around such high level athletes, even if it was for a short period of time, just, I didn't, I mean, training, yeah, there were some things that I took away from it, but the most important thing was, dude, these are the best people in the world and like watching them come in and out, like that's their job. That's their passion. It's everything all in one. And it's like, I've never seen such detail. I've never seen such commitment. It just, it blows your mind how these people operate. And what was crazy is that I know this study exists somewhere. You can find it, but supposedly they asked all residential athletes at the Olympic training center, you know, if you could take a pill and be guaranteed gold, or you could, and know that the side effects of that would be you die in the next 10 to 15 years, would you take it? There's a high majority that said, yeah, I'll take that. And you're just wondering like, that's another level of just, you just don't understand. Like, that's something I still can't comprehend to this day. They're, they, they're just willingness to, to or that drive. And then the dopest thing was like the, the room right next door, two double doors, you open up and boom, that was the weightlifting hall. So that's where USA weightlifting was. And coach Zygmunt was there. And that's a legendary, obviously weightlifting coach. And I got to interact with those guys every day. And it was so cool. Like, I was like, oh, my God, this is really clean snatch jerk. Like, this ain't, oh, okay, I learned it in football. Like, I learned it through the football ring. <laughs> right. Like, no, this is, this is the best in, that the U.S. has to offer in Olympic weightlifting. And this is Coach Zygmunt, a legendary weightlifting coach. And I get to watch this daily. And I just sat there with my lunch and just they were so cool to let me come through. So, once again, these experiences all prepared me for a moment where I didn't deserve and quite simply, I was 23 and I landed a director's job at a division one school out in California called uh, Santa Clara University. So I didn't even know I was the director really at the time. I thought it was just a men's and women's basketball job. And then I go out there and they're like, oh, there's your office. And I was like, oh, it's in the weight room. Well, where's the director's office? Like, who's the ball? Like, oh, Corey, you're, you're the director. Like you, you oversee the entire department and all the other Oh yeah, I knew that. That's a good joke, right? Oh shit. Like I, I, I now am 23 years old and running an entire department and I had no idea. I was the worst director on the planet, hands down for two and a half years, made terrible mistakes. I was control of hiring and firing for all the other sports. Like I had no clue. I had a $5,000 a year budget. So as you can imagine, that's like weight cleaning supplies. You know, that's, that's about it. All you can get for a year. So I had to manifest all these like Craigslist deals just to get med balls. And I'm, I'm telling you, there's some, some crazy stories about just acquiring new equipment um, and just trying to run your own show with literally nothing. And so that was by far, by the, out of all my experiences, that's the one I cherish the most because you're literally turning chicken 
into chicken salad, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> and so after that, uh, I got called from, he was an assistant coach at Carolina at the time. We used to play noon ball together. Uh, his name is Jared Hass, and he got the head job at the University of Alabama, Birmingham, which has a really rich basketball history. And so he remembered me from Carolina and gave me a call to be his strength coach. And yeah, luckily in three years, we won two championships. Um, and that led us to Stanford University. And so that was, once again, like, I, I don't know how I got these opportunities and how I landed in these areas, but Stanford University is a very special place. There is no other way to describe it. It is, you, I got to ride my bike on the campus every day. Because in California, especially in the Bay Area, bike commuting is pretty, pretty prevalent. And so riding your bike onto that campus every day down Palm Drive, and it's literally a mile of just palm trees. And then the, the, the campus is just so immaculate. It's just, you have this weird feeling, like this nostalgia. You're just like, oh my God. Like, I'm this like poor kid from the mountains of Virginia, like this hillbilly. And now I get to, I get to work on the world's most prestigious campus, period. And you just sit there and you're like, man. I don't know. I could <laughs> argue that Stanford's not the world's most prestigious campus. Why? What are you thinking? Uh, UC Berkeley. Get out of full here. of bums? Yeah, it's Get full of homeless people. What's your yeah. palm tree situation? <laughs> Get uh, out of here. I fucking man. hate Stanford. God damn I know it. you do, honey. I know. I know. I'm, a, I'm, a I'm a Cal Bear. I know. It's, uh, it, I, it, it, I is a, it is a beautiful place. It uh, is a very beautiful but place. But there's a lot of hand-holding. And um, the, um, the, the, oh God. What's the barbed wire tattoo, Cal? Stanford's uh, offensive The question line. is, who holds the axe? Uh, didn't Cal beat Stanford last year? Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we did. I like nine years. Oh, I know. We, we, yeah, fucking. And the, the worst part is Stanford would have like a worse record than us and then somehow come in and beat us in the fucking big game. And I was like, smarter. God damn it. Just, just, uh, uh, what do they call it? Intellect, intellectual brutality. Uh, no. <laughs> I just, somehow Stanford fucking pulled it off, man. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, I, dude, what's cool about Stanford, though, is they handhold the fuck out of their students. Like, uh, the students, like, classes no more than, like, 12 or 15. You have the teacher's number if you have a problem. I mean, I showed up to a class with 800 people. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, it's a great environment, man. Like, yeah, every time we went down there, I'm like, man, this is a really pretty place, and there's no homeless people, which, if you've been to Berkeley, is <laughs> yes. pretty you've much like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, hey, we got Berkeley, we got Top Dog, and we got homeless people. So, homeless or hipster? Uh, yeah, homeless or hipster, that's it. Yeah, the only homeless-looking people at Stanford are the hipsters mm-hmm. trying to look homeless. Mm-hmm. It's nice, though. They, they pull that off pretty nicely, to be honest with you. Uh, but, yeah, being at Stanford, I mean, it was, once again, it was very special, but it wasn't like I had a lot of means there either. You know, it was surprising. Like there's an, there's this like, oh, there's Stanford like persona, if you will. But it's not like I had this crazy budget. It wasn't like the power five, you know, mentality as far as like the expenditures that we could have because we had 36 sports and that's impressive. Like that's the most in all division one, I think. And that's why they also win the director's cup every year. Um, but it's, you know, we didn't, we, we, we spread out our resources. So, you know, football and basketball, you know, they, they didn't have like what you would consider at, you know, your Alabamas or your Georgias, Carolinas, you know, they didn't, we didn't have the resources like that. Um, but, you know, that's where I started my social media and really went all in on it because I mean, I just, I pimped myself out on Instagram just to get free equipment. 
and people want to be associated with that and people want to be associated with Stanford. So I would get free equipment <laughs> just so that I just posted on the gram and it was featured by Stanford, you know, Stanford string coach, da, 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 come buy our stuff. And that was my way of just getting a decent gym. So sure. I could train guys. Well, it, isn't yeah. there kind of a feeling at Stanford that they don't want to really be known for sports? Like I always felt like they kind of uh, purposely kind of like, like they like the idea of sports, but they don't want to be known as like an Alabama or, or as like a sporting kind of powerhouse. Cause you guys were on your way. I mean, when you had um, uh, Harbaugh and uh, mm-hmm. some of that stuff. And I felt like a lot of like the pushback was when all of a sudden Stanford like becomes too successful. They all of a sudden I right. see them pull the reins back and they kind of do stuff like that. Cause they don't want to be known as this like, this uh they want to be known for you know academic institution and higher level of learning and so i always thought that was pretty interesting that i think stanford or their the people that are making decisions kind of sabotage the athletes or at least the athletic department whenever they become too successful at least the way it always appears to me well i would i would agree with that so uh but the only thing i would say is like well they won the director's cup for the past like 30 years in a row which is the ultimate level of achievement as far as athletics in Division One sports. It's where collectively, as the entire athletic department, they win more national championships than anybody else in the, in the country. So that's where I'd be like, ah, I hear what you're saying. Maybe you can make that argument for the, um, the sports that make money. You can make that argument. Yeah, but I as mean, far as and they win more national championships than anybody else. And, you know, it's like, well, they do put a somewhat of a – of a uh, attention to it for a reason, you know? So that's where I just know some guys that played football. Like I just saw Kylie Wong and uh, Will Sabitek and those guys. And that was something whenever uh, we'd always, they always talked to be like, it's a weird deal, man. Like they want to be successful, but when all of a sudden it starts cresting too much, like they pull back. And I always thought that was pretty interesting, but two sports, they don't ever, uh, you know, they're Cal super competitive with Stanford on is uh, not only, um, rugby, but also like water polo. And then they have the big swim. I mean, uh, the swim stuff. So, I mean, it's pretty amazing when you see like, like the level of competition on these deals always ends up coming down to a Cal and Stanford deal. Yeah, it really does. Especially when it comes to the international sports, if you will, or the Olympic sports, like especially swimming, Cal and Stanford and swimming. That is yeah. super, super competitive. They have it. They call it the big splash. So we would always go and it was, it was pretty bitching to go, you know, cause as a football player, you're like, Oh yeah. And then you realize that there's like, these other sports that are super competitive where we're like, we're not that good, but all these dudes have gold medals over here, you know? Right. Facts. <laughs> yeah. Facts. I, I, that, yeah, was, yeah. Just, that was the interesting part. You just walk around campus and all of a sudden you're like, oh, that's five-time gold medalist X and that's gold medalist that, And you're just sitting there like, how am I surrounded by this greatness? And you don't well, even know it. <laughs> well, the one uh, Stanford alum, most infamous, Tiger Woods. Mm. Nice dude. I got to meet him once. Super nice dude. Man. Yeah, and everybody I've ever met said, dude, Tiger's a great dude. Man, so, and this is what caught me by a surprise. It was at a football game, and we had about 30 of us lined up. So it was all the staff, all the players, you know, and it was the whole men's basketball program was meeting him on the football field. And every single person, he took the time, shook their hand, couple words exchanged full eye contact he was fully engaged and he did that for every single person down the line and i was like wow like that's tiger woods like you know sometimes i'm in like you know in in my training environment i don't even give someone like five i'm like dude i got some other shit to handle like you know but this guy like out of his own element like did that for each individual person it was like almost 30 of us he did that for like that's to me i was like man he's, he's got to be a hell of a dude 
He's got to be a hell of a dude. Just made some bad decisions, you know. <laughs> Don't we all? The problem is Don't we no, all? no. The problem is 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 uh, Tiger got uh, he had some interesting mentors. So Charles Barkley and those guys were kind of mentoring Tiger, and you know I think they just led him down a wrong path, mm-hmm. and probably crossed the wrong gal. Obviously, it called his wife. <laughs> But there's other ones who found out similar information who haven't quite taken the... Uh, you mean decided to rearrange his face with a 9-iron? Yeah, extreme retaliation. <laughs> Didn't know there was that special well, that special I, seed of crazy in there. That I, maybe, well, uh, well, I always wonder when you come to find out that your husband has been barebacking hookers. That might... My husband would never do that. <laughs> <laughs> Tiger. Oh, God, and that thing blew up on him. Oh, God, damn it. Uh, like, as, a, as an athlete and as a human, I'm like, shit. I know. I mean, Don't do it. Poor Nike. Oh, and, and dude, uh, Nike had what him. mean poor Nike? Hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> poor Nike? Nike had... Billions say, of dollars. Oh, yeah. Uh, dude, uh, believe me, I'll never fucking say poor Nike. But Nike had... Uh, <laughs> they had a bad string. They had uh, Tiger. They had Lance Armstrong. Yeah. And, like, they had, like, all that string of stuff come out. Could and you like, imagine those board meetings? Like, I don't know. Uh, yeah. It's got to be blood... Like, just cold-blooded. Cold-blooded to... Sh- sh- I don't know. Like, how do you make that exchange? Or do, is it like a professional courtesy? If you are Lancer, Tiger, you just, you know, what's coming. Well, like you're, uh, you're, you're going to be erased. Well, Nike the, history. So when I went to, what is it? Nike U or like the university, when I went out there, when um, Hobie was uh, their uh, director of international marketing, whatever. So I went out there for that event and they had just, uh, cause they had like an entire shrine to Tiger and uh, Lance Armstrong. That whole thing, it just came out and they like, Scrubbed it. Just put like, an asterisk like, or something. Like they, Give them the they, they, they like took it all asterisk. down. Like the Character statues, asterisk. everything. They just scrubbed it. And you're like walking by. You're like, what's that empty building? Like, oh, that's where Lance Armstrong's shrine was. <laughs> yeah, they still got that tiger. Uh, that tiger building. Yeah, still got the tiger building. So he bought his way back. He's and, back. <laughs> and then, uh, and then they, the, what they surprisingly don't do is they don't have like a little like shrine to like the sweatshop kids that make all their stuff. Which oh. I, which oh, is the joke. Is the joke. <laughs> is the joke. <laughs> Is the joke that I made, which I was like, whoa, was that off color? Was I not supposed to say that? I would advise again. <laughs> and then <laughs> surprisingly, they didn't call us back. Yeah, man. The, uh, but what is sad about that? I mean, maybe it's sad. I don't know. But like there's the, uh, there's the achievements and then there's like the personal life and like Barclays monumental, like I'm not a role model, right? But then that, that card folded fast. And if you made the, the wall of greatness at Nike, then you had to have this like upstanding character lifestyle. I'm like, dude, like, I don't know, man. I'm First not justifying all. number one, what tiger did. I'm not saying it was the right thing to do, but like, it's his personal life. Sure. But, um, I think part of the problem comes, uh, where you have many other people that might've been, you know, mm-hmm. on the shrine at Nike, like Jumpman, mm-hmm. uh, that, Probably, or, or that that lived the life that Tiger was dreaming of living. Right. I mean, uh, you know, but but didn't pre social media mm-hmm. and pre you know like information information permeation, mm-hmm. you could pull those shenanigans. The problem is with uh, this thing called social media and the internet. There are no more shenanigans. Unless you're Gronk. And then you just you're from and, day one, you're Mister Shenanigans. And then everybody just expects you to do shenanigans. That's right. Yeah, but at the end of the day, that's what you get paid millions and millions of dollars to do. 
Like, mm-hmm. at the, like that's your image is everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you get paid millions, I mean, I'm telling you, I would just lock myself in this house. Yeah. If I yeah. was getting paid endorsement deals from Nike, I'd be like, okay, I'm not going to do anything to jeopardize that. Yeah. And I guess that's yeah. the social contract you're signing, right? When you do 100%. that. Well, well yeah. they, they all have morality clauses. Uh, like there was, you know, morality clauses in the NFL deal. And they pretty much mm-hmm. came in and they said, here's the deal. Uh, drinking and driving is a really bad black mark on the NFL. So don't make us make an example of you by getting caught drinking and driving. And I'm like, did you guys tell us not to drink and drive? And they're like, no. Do not do get not caught. get caught drinking <laughs> and driving. And I was like, interesting choice. I, I was like, it, it was it was one of those very calculated things. And I'm like, I understand what you're talking about. And, I hear you. Uh, it's absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they were like hire. So we just had a car service. Like took us in, waited, and he came out. And it was you know it was kind of expensive, but it was a lot cheaper than losing your job or getting a DUI. Um, but yeah, like that. <sighs> just the level yeah, of I shenanigans. Get, I get it. Believe me. One hundred and fifty dollar Uber is worth it every time. Oh, dude, Uber every yeah. every time. My, uh, if you my brother's a defense Uber, attorney. Yeah, yeah, my brother's a defense attorney. And he's like, I can't believe I still have DUI clients. He's like, I uh, like it, like it blows his mind. And he's like, these are fucking expensive. Like, uh, uh, yeah. even if you tipped your Uber driver $5,000, it's going to be cheaper than what this cheaper, is. Right. And like, right. like now there are very long term repercussions as well. Like in terms of whether it's insurance or licensing and man. Yeah. And if you make another traffic incident, that's not even drinking related. In certain sit like in Chicago or Illinois, it's pretty like it's pretty gnarly if you get that take on your record now. Oh, in Arizona, it's the worst out of yeah. all the fifty states. Arizona is the harshest on DUIs. Well, then how come so, McNabb has five DUIs in Arizona? I mean, he got the money to pay for it. <laughs> He's Donovan McNabb, uh, dude. possibly the greatest eagle of all time. <sighs> More like of all time. Uh, so the uh, so the other day, the Eagles uh, uh, Instagram put out like best Eagles nicknames, and they had Honeybun Hank Fraley on there, which is <laughs> hilarious because uh, I can't remember if I gave him that or it was Trey Thomas. Uh, so like I, I at the origin. Oh, I was there when it happened. Yeah, uh, and and I'm like, uh, it might have been, it might have been Trey because um, bees were attacking Hank. And he's like, it's because you've been eating them honey buns. And so then we just started calling him honey. Like, that might be the way. I might have to call Trey to figure it out. Sure. But they had that up there. And somebody's like, I can't believe you didn't have McNabb in there. And the guy was like, it's out of shame. You know, like a dog pooping where you can't look at it and it can't look at you. That's what McNabb is to the Eagles. It's a dog shitting that's too ashamed. What's his nickname? Chunky Soup. Uh, uh, yeah, it was, it was Chunky Bird Soup. Man is off. I don't know. They, no, no, he used to call him Chunky Soup. And then, uh, uh, oh, uh, um, uh, what, what was uh, Dr. Huxtable's first name? Uh, Theo. No. Cliff. Yeah, Cliff Huxtable. Because he used to look like, he was kind of like, uh, even when he was 20, he looked like he was 50. So he kind of looked like Bill Cosby. So we used to call him Cliff Huxtable <laughs> or Chunky Soup. Cliff Huxtable. Oh, real quick question. Was Mark Wahlberg, did he play that role, that Philadelphia player? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That okay, guy, Mark Wahlberg's the greatest eagle of all time then. Uh, oh, fair enough. So Vince, Vince Papali. <laughs> damn it, you got it out for me. So Vince Papali, he used to come all the time to like uh, whenever we do like appearances or whatnot, he would show up. And I'm like, who the fuck is this guy? And like, <laughs> like so like, and he was super cool cat. And like everybody yeah. loved him. And I finally, like I, you know, I'm from California, dude. Like I, I didn't know the Eagles. Like I just thought it was Gotham City. So like I'm, I'm at this appearance. Nice. 
And this guy's like, there's all these old, I'm like, who are these fucking old guys? He's like, hey, yo, I'm uh, Vince Popoli. And so uh, I was like, well, well, like, what's your deal? And he's like, uh, you know, I was a kid from South Philly. You know, I, I like walked on in my 20s and, and Dick Vermeil, and he went through this whole story and I like made it. And uh, I was like, man, that's a great story. And every time I'd see him, like the guy was such a cool cat and everybody loved him because he was just some local dude from the neighborhood. And um, yeah, he was cool as shit. And then I remember they showed up when I was playing for the Chiefs. Uh, Greg Kinnear, who ended up playing Dick Vermeil for the, in that movie, he showed up and hung out with like Dick Vermeil and followed him around to try to, you know, get Vermeil's, I don't know, scent on him, isms. And they were telling about it and they were like, yeah. They're, and then sure enough, Vermeil's like, yeah, they're making a a movie about Vince Papali. And I'm like, oh, that fucking guy that was all the appearances. So, yeah, no, Mark Wahlberg, definitely best eagle. Of all time. That's easy. Yeah. Nut chunky soup. <laughs> <laughs> fucking. What's hilarious is a lot of people have had chunky soup commercials, and for some reason, he's the one. He's chunky soup. And, uh, or the best was him throwing up, and then uh, uh, Terrell Owens coming out and being like, it's because he was hungover. He was drunk in the huddle. I just thought McNabb was in really poor physical shape, and that's why he was throwing up all the time. Could be both. Oh, yeah, he was in terrible yeah, shape. They tend to go hand in hand. I mean, <laughs> yeah, he, uh, he, he was voted least likely to look like a professional athlete physically. Wow. By who? Your locker room? Yeah. <laughs> uh, by our offensive line. Yeah, I was about to say, have you seen Major League Baseball? Because I would argue on um, the other end of that. You know, my neighbor when I lived in Tampa, uh, lived in Clearwater, was David Wells. And so Wellsy, uh-huh. uh, yeah. like, I'd go work out and then go, go see him, and uh, he would be, like, playing drums in his garage, hammered, really fat and just out of shape. <laughs> and he's like, it helps to be this out of shape to throw a ball this fast. Living my best life. <laughs> Good for him. Exactly. That's my dream job. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then, like, go to the field and be like, oh, I'm probably not going to get in today. And you start drinking in the one, second inning. One day in the league <laughs> is all you need, right? Isn't that it? Yeah, you lifetime. get lifetime medical, like, pension, the whole deal, man. It's like the NFL. you got to basically kill somebody <laughs> and then have, like, a, a necklace of ears to get pension. In the in Major League Baseball, they're like, oh, we gave you a uniform. I guess you get full pension and full medical, you know? I'm like, uh, if I can strengthen the players' union. Impressive. Uh, we, so we did bit, go down a bit of a rabbit hole. Which we tend to do. Stanford yep. takes you to. Yeah. And then uh, now I'm with the Suns. Um, I've been on multiple podcasts and I've said it a million times that I would never go to the NBA. <laughs> and here I am in the NBA. Um, you mean as a player? Uh, definitely not. I knew that. Yeah. Uh, actually, I learned that lesson. I want to say like there was a basketball camp called Five Star. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of that. But it's, it's a borderline invite only. Um, and it's like the elite of summer basketball camps. And that's basically where you see all these like crazy recruits. Um, but now it's AAU. They don't even, who cares about camps now? It's just all about AAU. But that was back before AAU was so big. And yeah, I found out really quick day one. I was like, mm, this whole um, professional basketball thing is not going to happen for a guy who's 5'10 and can't shoot the ball that well. So <laughs> from that point, I was like, oh, okay, well, I got to find another way. Ah. Coaching. Coaching is the way to do it. Those who can't coach. No, those who just... can play, those who can't coach is what we used to tell the coaches all the time. That was my favorite line. I'd be like, ah, yeah, fuck you. Uh, but to be honest, like, and this is the crazy thing, like, you know, in football, I don't think there's a single football strength and conditioning coach that's never not played football. Would you agree with that? Uh, there, no, we had like I can think of a few times where we've had we had strength coaches that had not played the game, and uh, it was just like there were a few coaches that we had that had never played football, 
And that really? shit always threw me for a loop. You know, uh, um, what was his name? Uh, Lou Holtz. Lou Holtz never played football. Yeah. So, I mean, pretty interesting, like on very, very rare occasions, like uh, Witzke never played football and he was strength coach for uh, Cleveland for Cleveland. Um, he's, yeah. one, uh, you, you know, Derek Witzke. Yep. And uh, yep. that I mean, he was a thrower, which to me is just football player whose parents wouldn't sign the permission slip. <laughs> right, right. Right. That's what I, I that, whenever you go to the Sornix deal, I'm like, oh, throwers. Do you guys need permission slips to do anything dangerous? Obviously, your mother won't sign them. Huge pussies. And uh, like and then like, uh, you know, because I'm like, double A, look how big and strong you are. How do you talk to football players being that big and strong without ever playing football? He's like, ah, oh, fuck you. So those guys get all burned up at me. Well, I play basketball, so that's like the ultimate. Of life. Uh, dude, the the one thing which I don't know if people really appreciate, uh, and maybe they do with the basketball, is just not only like the volume of games that these guys play, but like the fact that they got to go and like hustle their ass up and down that court. And like, I mean, just the level of conditioning always blew me away with those guys. I mean, because by nature, a lot of the basketball players, at least the ones I knew were kind of lazy, uh, right. like uh, in the weight room, they just weren't incredibly hard workers and they just, but you see them on the court and it was like a different animal. And I, I always wondered if the guys are, I mean, I'm sure today it's a little bit different, but you know, when I was in college and playing and uh, we always see like the Cal basketball guys in the weight room, uh, they were just like, like, I don't know if they made the connection. Like, no, nah, I make money out there. Like, in right. here is just required for this. But it just feels like, man, like those guys, uh, just the level of conditioning they have to have, it just feels like that in today's environment, those guys are a little bit more weight room warriors. So it's it's so interesting you bring that up because this is something I've been very passionate about over the past two or three years. And it was truly trying to understand, is the weight room really important for basketball? And the more and more I'm understanding and seeing the highest level of basketball now, the more I'm like, maybe not. Steph Curry. I yeah. mean, there's a lot. I mean, supposedly he trap bars pretty heavy from what I uh, heard on like some type of report. But like there's there's this aspect of athleticism and qual- and like special strength that it's like it might not be that necessary. And if anything, you might actually be slowing these cats down. And if you look at the build of a basketball player, like if we took like a generic, like all right, we, we made a guy on 2K, right? And what you would, your average you would see is, okay, these guys from a biomechanical standpoint are not advantageous to lift weights at all. Yeah. Uh, from if you want to go fiber typing, fascially driven, whatever else other key terms you want to throw out there. Well, just anthropometrical we, ratios. For sure. But it's like, watch them move, though. Like, are they muscularly driven? They are not. If they were muscularly driven, they would be slow. These guys are elastic and reactive, and they rely on ligaments and tendons to get the job done. They rely on free energy. If we are not using free energy, then they're not efficient and effective. These guys, I mean, like, that's the one thing I'm coming to the conclusion on in a lot of ways is, you know, you can find that in football, too. Um, You see these guys are like these DBs and these wide receivers that are just – bouncy as can be you know what like there's a reason why like they don't lift the way that other people live and they rely on different uh, they rely on self-organizing and their ability to compress and then release everybody else like if you're an o-lineman or you're a muscularly driven dude you're muscle bound you're relying on your musculature system which is a lot slower contractile and everything and then you use a, a ton of substrates so now you're constantly gassed well, and that's uh, where I'm like, man, these guys are like deer. Like just yeah. uh, if we can make a comparison, 
they're deer. And when you watch deer move, I mean, it's the most smooth and rhythmic and coordinated and it's free energy. That's what you want in a basketball player. Now, once again, we can get into technical and tactical aspects of the sport and be like, okay, well, muscularly driven dudes are good in the post for X, Y, and Z reason. But I'm just talking about in generalities. Mm-hmm. When you think about basketball compared to other sports, you want elastic and reactive athletes. You don't want these muscle-bound dudes because they're too slow. Well, when was the last time you saw a legitimately muscle-bound basketball player? Oh, I got a few right now. Okay. I, I'd like, yeah. oh, like, yeah. like for me, the guys that I see in the highlights, I and mean, I can't say I came and remember other than the playoffs sitting down and watching NBA basketball, but, when, but I, I love watching the highlights. And yeah. um, for the most part, the guys that, you know, I mean, like, uh, I think um, uh, Gunner told us that uh, LeBron and those guys, you know, they all train pretty hard. He like he he always said he goes, you know, you'd be surprised at like you know the level which these guys attack it. So I always wonder if maybe it's just not the fiber type, or maybe they just uh, they play so much pickup, or they play so much uh, like there's so many hours on the court that any mm-hmm. excessive muscle or anything that you would probably you know maybe hope to carry one day just gets kind of burned off within the calories. I mean, I wouldn't look at it like that because the human body doesn't perceive stress in the manner of like we're burning off muscle, right? Just because we're playing the game of basketball and can, in conjunction with training, I would look at it more like it, if they're Ferraris, do we want to add a trailer to that Ferrari? Because at that point, it's not a Ferrari anymore. You know, it's it, it just got slowed down. It became down. useful. I mean, I can totally use it to pull trailers and then I can, you know, Hey, it's part of the ranch. Don't but, worry. But Don't worry that I'm, I'm towing with a Ferrari. But you can't use it to race. And that's my point is like, look, man, some of these guys, there are things that you just need to do to get out of their way. If you put traditional training means on them, you are actually robbing them of their resources to go do what they do. And think about just the, like, let's not compartmentalize stresses. And I think that's what we do in sport all the time. We go, oh, this is basketball, and oh, this is weightlifting. No, the body doesn't know. Stress is stress. So once we start compartmentalizing stresses, then we're not talking to each other. And that's my biggest issue when I'm seeing a lot of programs and how they develop is they look at these as separate entities, and they're not. The body perceives stress in the same way, no matter if you're breaking up with your girlfriend Rather, you're racing on a track or you're playing basketball. Like, all of it is stress. So what we want to do is have complementary stresses, not conflicting stresses. And so when I think about, "Mm, these guys are elastic and reactive on the court, they don't truly utilize substrates like others would if they were, you know, like driving into another, you know, offense or defense alignment. And that's why they get to play or have the conditioning that is perceived that they have. No, they have efficiency. There's a difference. And that's where some guys just automatically make, man, they can play basketball forever. Yeah, they're built for it. They're built to run forever. They're built to be elastic and reactive. And what's really interesting, if you want to get down the rabbit hole, is you know, from a, te- or from a tactical standpoint, they don't exert as much energy as you think they do. They're just in the right positions. And because they are, then they can put themselves into positions to exert the X amount of force to get that alley-oop dunk. You know, that's where there's so many rabbit holes we can go down and we can we can make a lot of different cases. And for me, when I train these guys, I go, how am I a preparing them for sport and b not robbing them of their resources? Because they do play three to four games out of the week or three or four days out of the week. They're playing games, which I mean, 
these games are long. They're very long games. And then you add travel and then you add all these other stressors. They're, you know, 18 to 22 years old and they have millions of dollars. Like, that's stressful would, in itself. That's a stress. Oh God. Right? Yeah, that's There's stressful. all these things that I'm like, if I had that kind of money, what kind of dumb stuff would I be doing? Right? But that's where, you know, they now they have, you know, there's agents, there's all these other entities that are pulling from them 24-7 that I'm going to go, hey, man, you know what? I think I can make you better by getting you this back squat. It's like, no. Like, that's, that's, that's the last thing I need to do. I need to complement whatever they're doing. And so... You know, a quick answer to all this, ISOs. ISOs is all these dudes really need. ISOs, and we can add in some eccentrics, but not to the point where we're just creating so much soreness that the body can't recover from it. But honestly, if you just stick these guys with ISOs, they're going to be okay. Because the sport itself is a training stimulus. Like, think about track and field. Sprinting is a training stimulus. Weight room, cleans, and snatches, it's a training stimulus. But the one that's the most harsh on the body is the one that's the fastest, which is playing basketball or sprinting, right? And they're playing on a hardwood surface. These stressors are way heavier and way, I mean, just way grander than what I could ever create in a weight room. And that's one thing we got to just understand is like, are we complimenting that? Are we taking it away? Some of these dudes, I'm not kidding you, they are so finely tuned. That if you put them in, like their nervous system is so finely tuned within their skill set that if I took them and did ballet for like five weeks, they would be great ballet dancers. If I took them in any other world and just put them in there, they would adapt and, and, and kill the skill because there's that finely tuned. But I know the one thing that throws that off, and that's really heavy weightlifting. Really heavy weightlifting tells the nervous system or disturbs the nervous system. It, it, it's a co-contraction. If I'm running really, really fast, say this is my hip, and I'm running really, really fast, the co-contraction only happens at the tenths of a second to protect the joint and then exert force. So they work like this, not like this, and then release. That's what squatting does. Heavy squatting does this, and it teaches the body to co-contract and to protect itself and to say, oh, God, don't break. You know, create all this internal pressure, okay, and then release. That's not what happens in sport ever. I don't think that ever happens unless you're offensive defense alignment. In basketball, maybe some post-ups, but those forces don't. Now, the only time you would use that is, oh, okay, I'm trying to – I'm trying to develop resiliency and durability in the body. I'm trying to build connective tissue. I'm trying to use these sources, AKA heavy squatting, to build the system to be able to handle more loads later. Absolutely. But it's all about time and place. Well, and, and if you're and, a strength coach in the NBA, right. you know where you have the most time with them? In season. season. Well, uh, I was also going to say, so, you know, I don't know how much time I would waste on just bilateral type movements. I mean, for the majority of what these guys are doing, they're on one foot. So it feels like step, you know, stepping in squat or stepping and lunging feels like a, a better deal. But you're right, man. I mean, uh, isometric contractions develop stability. And if it's like they need more stability in different ranges of motion and the way you get them there is through some form of isometrics, that makes sense as well, too. Is there a- yeah, but with isometrics, what are we really trying to achieve? Like when I think of isometrics, I think tendon. A lot of people think like starting strength. That's the last thing I'm thinking about because I'm trying to attack the tendon. And if you look at a gentleman named Keith Barr's work, our goal we just had him on the podcast. What was that? Oh, exactly. A couple weeks ago. So we're very familiar with Keith Barr. Yeah, dude's brilliant. Um, but like, 
you want you want a long duration isometric to be able to say, okay, muscles stop working and stop fatiguing and fighting itself. And it's like, oh, now the tendon's actually taking the stress. Like that's what we're looking for. So when I think about isometrics, yeah, that's how I think about it. I'm doing it strictly for tendon health. Um, and then, you know, the only reason why I'd use isometrics for any other means is if I'm training weightlifters. Like, oh yeah, like we need some starting strength or there's position specific angles that I'm trying to work on to the blast through plateaus, if you will. But any other means it's like, you know, tendon health, like what else would we want? Well, yeah, Keeper also had a pretty good talking about, you know, uh, if the only type of rep that you ever move is max intensity, like max speed, like compensatory acceleration, there becomes more of an issue with tendon and connective strength and actually like slowing things down with some slower eccentrics, slower or concentrics. And, uh, you know, varying the time under tension helps to develop connective tissues, which I thought was a really interesting point. Hey, it's bodybuilding. Bodybuilding one-on-one. They've been doing it yep. forever, right? And so I look at it like this. If I'm working with athletes on a basketball court and they're elastic reactive, they're doing the end of the spectrum that you were just briefly talking about is high velocities, right? I'm going to train them in the exact opposite mm-hmm. because that this is what – help keeps this going and if it doesn't like anything in between is confusing the system and robbing resources from one to another and that's the last thing i want to do especially with these guys so Corey, i I feel like you're talking at the elite level as you work your way down does that is there a little more margin in terms of uh i guess more traditional training type barbell movements as you like go down to let's say elite collegiate and then maybe D2 and, you know, keep cascading down into high school where you got these young multi-sport athletes. Is it, do you have more margin there based off your experience? If someone's trying to, you know, let's say their primary focus is basketball, but they also play, I don't know, baseball and track or something, or do those, do those conflict? Yeah. Same season, but so see football, basketball, football, yeah. Football, basketball, track. That's a high school year. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Uh, let's let me let me clear up one thing because I might have misspoke. Uh, don't get it twisted. We train. Like I got guys that clean. I got guys oh, that snatch. No, no, no. Like, no. Like don't get it twisted. Uh, we sounds train. like a lot of shiatsu massage. Yeah. And a oh, lot of like, no. oh, you are the best. You are the best. Let me <laughs> dig in your glutes. You're the best. And that do, sounds like it. But uh, go I'll do tell a twenty you second. There's guys that it. clean. There's guys that clean on game days. There's guys that do extreme. Like their like, shoes. Like cleaning their shoes. Like no. freshening everything up? No, they come got people now. for that. <laughs> come on now, come on now. <laughs> uh, no, there, there's guys that legitimately like they train and they but know how to train. Is there um, like a um, D run? And uh, you said you got a couple guys that are muscle bound. Is that coming from like, yeah. I mean, just the idea that they kind of bought into this weight room culture? I mean, I like, yeah, I, I always thought it was weird um, where they correlated athletes' strength in the weight room as like, well, this guy's not strong in the weight room. And I was, I, I always kind of deferred to like, uh, if he's weak on the field and weak in the weight room, okay, then I can understand. Yep. But I, I, I saw guys that weren't strong in the weight room that had incredible field strength. And I yeah. like, and they were like, oh, he just needs to get stronger. I'm like, that dude's a beast on the field. Well, he has, uh, he doesn't have great weight room numbers. And I always remember thinking like, you guys are paying me to lift weights but you're not paying me because I lift weights. Like, like, uh, like I'm not getting paid for, you know, I, obviously I got to show up and bang weights, but like my salary is not 
predicted on what I could lift in the weight room. It's my performance on I the field. I am not my bench press. All right, so. Okay, Put that out there, Penguin. <laughs> uh, uh, the Penguin's a punk bitch. Oh. Yeah, oh so go. if you're the Penguin, I, you, you why you got he hit you, he didn't uh, stab deep? Uh, no, no. Context, Corey, we got a troll. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, fucking, clearly. Because I was like, "What's going on?" Nah. Here? So there's this douchebag that's been trolling us, and he goes by the title of the Penguin. And so he posted some terrible fucking shirt, and uh, like, "Do you guys like this? Yes or no?" And I'm like, "It looks incredibly douchey." And then what did he do? He screen capped and reposted it, and I was like, "You just fucking confirmed your douche status by reposting a private DM. You're fucking blocked." Ooh. And I'll get on Power Athlete and I'll fucking block his ass. And I'll tell you when Ooh. I find out who the Penguin is. If he works for us, he's fucking canned. And if he and if he's a block one, <laughs> he's, getting, text. he's getting fucking curb stomped or out of this motherfucker. Hey, just so you know, I'm the penguin. Yes, I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> nice cover. Uh, nice. But, nice. Uh, like, I always thought in the basketball situation where, like, you know, um, because coaches love to point things out. Like, well, what did he bench? What did he lift in this? And you're like, well, I mean, like, is that equating on the field or on the court? And so I always wonder sometimes with guys where guys get this idea that, you know, hey, I'm going to be able to, you know, go in the weight room and build myself up and, you know, the transfer on the field. So, I'm, I mean, uh, in football, we saw it all the time. I just wonder and basketballs are kind of the same mentality. That little ditty and the sound of my smooth, sensual, yet strong voice means you're about halfway through our chat and you've earned yourself a little brain break brought to you by our friends at Train Heroic. And I know you're like, Callie, your voice is smooth, sensual, yet strong, but what does that have to do with Train Heroic? And the answer is, it doesn't. But here's why we at Power Athlete think it's important that you're aware of what Train Heroic is capable of. Their whole jam is to empower you to train without limits. Sound familiar? That means that you can take your little gym business or side hustle and absolutely blow the fucking doors off of it. Their immersive training solutions allow you to train athletes from New York to Nicaragua. And FYI, if you consult a map, those places are really far from each other. Gym space is not an issue. Distance, not an issue. And scheduling, well, we already know that time is an illusion, but it's even more illusion-y with Train Heroic. With Train Heroic, you can provide an engaging, flexible, and affordable training experience for your people wherever they are on this flat earth. They provide everything you need to look like a pro, even if you're a complete Luke Summers, and transition into this brave new world of online training. The best part is that they give you a fortnight of free usage. That's two weeks for anyone not born in the 1700s. And when that wraps up, you can keep the party going for the price of a Chipotle burrito. But wait, there's more. A burrito without guac. And you pay only as your business gains grow. The whole crew uses Train Heroic and has done so for years. There's a reason we are taking the time to mention it, and it's not because they promised us a party barge or a suitcase full of collectible beanie babies, uh, baby tigers, or anything else that you deem to be extremely valuable. It's simply because we like them, we use them, and we believe in what they can do for your business and your athletes. Power Athlete has grown by 50% for the last four years because of Train Heroic. And in the words of one of my old coaches, you can't argue with results. Head over to trainheroic.com, click on the free trial button in the upper right-hand corner, and get started today. Now back to the show.
So I've, I've talked about this multiple times, and I've been in college basketball for, oh, shit. Yeah, 10 years. 10 years I've been in college basketball, and this is my concluding my first year in the NBA. In 10 years of college basketball, I've only had one occurrence where my best weightlifter was my best basketball player. Only once. And so it just true. makes sense. It just makes sense because think about it, like especially in my world. I got guys that have six foot six height with seven foot two wingspans. Do you think they're made to lift weights? No, Absolutely they're, not. They're made to box. They're made to be fighters. Me, or swim. Favor. Hold your forearm out and then add another forearm to that. And then imagine what that would be like just the, the curl a barbell. That would suck. It's you know, like level. from a biomechanical all, standpoint, that I'm six six. You yeah. fucking midgets. And I feel like a suit. Sur- like, what's he saying? Wedding crashers? Uh, I'm 6'5", but I feel like... I feel 5'2 in your arms. Yeah, something like How that. tall are you? Uh, six, <laughs> yeah, five. but these two guys right here, they're made to lift weights. Yeah, right? we are. Look at us. You Jacked. are a little bit of an anomaly. Like, anomaly. let's just be honest. There's not basketball players that have, you know, 20-inch biceps. I'm not saying you have that, but it looks like it from here. Right? There you go. So I, there's Photoshop. not many basketball players that have that, and there's a reason, right? Well, and so that... Go ahead. Oh, no, no. I mean, but if you just look at the anatomical situation, I mean, most of those dudes' feet are like size 16, 17 foot. You know, they usually have super high calves, you know, like a smaller kind of thinner lower ankle. And then they go up and you look at how these guys are built. I mean, I remember like and I'm sure you said the same thing, like you can spot a dude in the airport or like when we were walking on campus. I mean, because we were athletes, we knew him. But I could spot a basketball player, even if he was a shorter, like 5'10 basketball player. I knew he was a basketball player just physically because right. they're, they're just built different than most people and even right. like you know you don't mistake them for football players and you just you know general uh appearance but it's um i mean uh, you make a good point and i always think that uh strength coaches take the attitude that like hey like you know the weight room's the panacea it doesn't matter we're going to apply the same model it's going to make everybody right. better it doesn't matter right. if you're here or there but uh but of, of quick fun fact in the the sports gene epstein wrote that if you're above seven feet tall in the United States, there's a 17% chance that you are an NBA player. Do you know why? Because if you're over seven feet tall and you don't play in the NBA and you go out in public and people go, oh, do you play in the NBA? And you go, no. The fucking humiliation (laughs) point. But I I, like it just uh, it it always just struck me funny, especially in basketball and some of the other sports like uh, fighting's the same way. Boxing, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, when you're talking about efficiency, same thing in the fight game. Like, uh, you know, you throw most people a set of of set of gloves and you're like, hey, go one three minute round. They're going to fucking gas Mm -hmm. out in the first thirty five seconds. These dudes can fight 16 rounds because they have not only efficiency in their movement, like like there's no wasted movement and they understand how to like, you know, conserve energy and the conditioning associated with it. I think the same in basketball and what I, I, same in any sport. I mean, yeah. that's why you don't see seven foot weightlifters. To a quote, reason for that. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes is Daryl green, old cornerback from the Redskins that played. 17, we know, 18 years. we know exactly who Daryl green is. If you have to explain look, to somebody who fucking Daryl green is, we got a problem. Who? <laughs> but he's How? used to say they're in sport, there's speed and there's experience. So he got away with speed early in his career and eventually learned the game where, he just when you, to be. When you play against Daryl Green and you look over and he had a full head of gray hair and a gray beard, you were like, look at that old man. Oh, it's Daryl Green. Okay. Coach oh, Daryl. Yeah. <laughs> he was older than the coaches. He's a great player, man. I mean, on that note, though, as far as talking about, you know, like for me in the very beginning of my career, it was all about the Olympic lifts. It was clean snatch jerk, right? Because that was the model that worked in football. That was the model that 
displayed strength and speed in its utmost form. And so we did exactly what you were saying earlier. We were like, oh, well, you can take that concept and apply it to this population yeah. and it should do the same thing. And that's where I was like early in my career, I was popularized because I had seven foot dudes and it looked like a weightlifting hall. Like, I mean, we became very proficient at the Olympic list. Now, it wasn't like we were cleaning the world or snatching the world at that point. But man, did they look good at it. Were you doing oh, full yeah. variations or just power movements? Uh, just uh, or mainly the power movements. I'd have a couple of cats that can do the full variations. Um, and once again, that was just strategic. Like, okay, he actually makes sense for this. Like, yeah. what's the most bang for our buck? Oh, you're my you're my white walk on who's not going to play. Yeah, why not? Let's do it. <laughs> like, you, you see what I'm saying? Like, who cares at that point? So that's when you're like, yeah, just make you more athletic. Like, if, if yeah, you're uh, head, you know, you're you're already at the okay. ceiling. I mean, you're, we're good, bro. We're good. We can do oh, this. That's awesome. Um, and then, so the, as I transitioned throughout my career and I acquired more sporting technologies and you know, it came to like my best basketball players suck at cleaning and snatching. Why? Well, they have this innate stiffness to them, which makes them good on the basketball court. Yeah, that rigidity. And then, yeah, exactly. And that rigidity creates force faster. And that's, that's, that's the ligaments and tendons that we were talking about. Yeah. And so where I, and then, then I got force plates. And I was like, oh, well, cleans went up and squats went up. Force plates are going to look awesome next month. Nope. They went down. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I made them slower. Great, Corey. More. And they'd only work up to about 80, 85 kilos, right? And I was like, oh. But for me to get 90 to 95 kilos would take the world. And it would rob them so many resources. For what? For something that actually wasn't directly transferring over? So that's where I got the trap ball involved. And so what I did was I took the trap bar and this did the exact same thing, triple extension, pull, whatever, catch in the hang. And then all of a sudden my best players were the ones on the Tendo units and gym awares creating the most force with 10 to 15 kilos higher than the guys who were actually proficient at the cleans and lifting, you know, really well. I was like, huh? So a famous track coach said this, I forgot his name though right now, but if the lifts that you're prescribing to your athletes um, or excuse me, let me, let me start over. If your best athletes aren't the best at the lifts that you're prescribing in the weight room, you're doing the wrong lifts. Mm. And it's like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense because if they're the best at, at just at displaying force on a field or a turf or whatever you're doing it on, but they can't do the same thing in your weight room, then you're prescribing the long, the wrong lifts and the wrong loads. And you're not putting them in a position to demonstrate what they can do out there. And so all of a sudden, I take the complexity out of the Olympic lifts. I take the, the anthropometrics out of it by just using a trap bar. Now they don't have to catch. Now they're just ripping the hell out of it. The intent is there. And now, huh, it's kind of interesting. They're the best in the weight room now. Dude, and that's you, where I had that No, that's – dude, uh, so when I was in college, my strength coach, a guy named Todd Rice, who was a uh, pure Olympic lifting, was snatch, clean, and jerk, front squat – and uh, that's like we were, you know, over those last bunch of years, it was this kind of idea that if you're not, you know, if your program doesn't look like snatch, clean and jerk, front squat, pull, you know, uh, jerk, uh, that's not a program for athleticism. And so I, I thought that was super interesting that there was this correlation where people believe that the road to athleticism, you know, it went right through fucking Olympic lifting town. And, uh, and that's were, where that's what I started in. Yeah. And then Man. I get to the NFL and uh, the first day I show up, it was um, uh, hammer strength hit. You know, our guys were from Penn State. So it was one set to intent, uh, right. one set to failure. 
And uh, we went and did it, and, like, I didn't necessarily see a fall off in athleticism. I knew that if that was my only training stimulus, I probably wouldn't have lasted very long in the NFL. But there were guys there that were extremely fast and dynamic and incredible athletes that did that program religiously. And uh, I remember the comment to me was, because I I got into it, uh, not not like an argument, but I asked uh, Mike Wolf, our, our strength coach at the time, I was like, why? Uh, like, do you guys buy into this or do you guys like other stuff? They're like, no, it's just uh, the easiest thing for us to do, the lowest barrier to entry to get us guys in the gym and they're, they're not going to get hurt and our job isn't to hurt people. And I was like, well, what about development? And he was like, sat me down and I remember we looked and he's like, if you show up here not ready to play, they're going to cut right. you. Like they drafted you in the fourth round. You came in and started as a rookie. Like, like the NFL doesn't has a very, very small window to develop people, and they do it very few. So, like, if you don't show up with the skills, we're not developing it. Where I think in basketball, because the guys are so young, there has to be a maturation phase. But he did make a good point. He goes, you realize most of the dudes in the NFL, they could play the snare drum for 30 minutes and are probably going to get better. So you can't Fact. base programming or training stimulus or really any philosophy on the world's best athletes. Because it just doesn't uh, anything you do makes sense. So then you see like professional, you know, uh, you know, football NFL strength coaches who want to stand up and be like, I'm the best, and this is what my athletes do. And this, I'm like, you have the world's best fucking athletes. It's like going to Alabama and Alabama being like, oh, well, you get the best recruits. So anything you do works. Like, show me the guy that's at you know some Division three school that's all of a sudden creating these monsters out of nowhere. The guys that didn't have a chance. That's to me is the most interesting approach. Absolutely. And here's the, the real caveat is and the ones that subscribe to themselves is like, oh, because we win championships, I must be doing this thing right. It's no, their genetics are so high compared to us four. Well, maybe not you. You played, but <laughs> us three yeah, I'll take is it. that they can take whatever BS a strength coach throws at them and still do what they do on the court in spite in of, spite of you <laughs> in spite of and that's when you're like i'm useless like where do i find value and that's where you go okay everything works and everything doesn't work at the same time yeah. it's all about time place population and by population there's populations within populations and when i got you know five foot ten to seven foot you know what and i got starters i got guys that are playing 36 plus minutes and I got guys that are coming from the G league. Those are two totally different ideologies of how we train. And that's where it's look, if we're trying to develop athletes, you know, college, I loved it. They're 18 to 22 years old. They're plastic as can be. I could literally do anything with them. I could go hit year one. I could transition into powerlifting year two, year three. I can be like, okay, we're going to do some Olympic lifting in year four. We don't touch any weights. We just sprint. And that would be pretty good. That would actually work out pretty well for them in a developmental standpoint as far as if we block periodize from year to year to year because I'm preparing tissues, then I'm strengthening tissues, and then now I'm putting some speed to it. And then, hey, you've already got the engine. Now just finally tune the turbo. Like that's If you take that approach with developmental athletes, you're probably going to be all right. On the contrary, I could take the most finely tuned athletes on the planet and I could do machines with them. And that's probably going to be the best idea for them. The guys that are, are or older, give them machines. Machines just make sense because who cares about messing with their nervous system at that point? Like you're trying to squeeze an inch vertical out of them in the weight room for what? Well, like we, the guy doesn't even jump on his jump shot. Like yeah. it doesn't make any sense. He plays <laughs> below the rim at this point in his career. Yeah. Like Vince Carter is a great example of that. 
Like, what did he do? He lost his bounds, and so he became a hell of a shooter. Yeah. It just makes sense. Like, he was the most dynamic athlete of all time. I mean, he literally jumped over a seven-footer and dunked yeah. on him. Like, literally jumped over him. And then he's like, ah, you know, I'm almost 40-something, and now I'm just going to shoot threes in the corner. Did, like, uh, wow, that's, that's, that is one of my favorite athletes just for that alone. Did you see they're coming out with this deal with Jordan, this documentary? Oh, yeah. Oh, wait, 10-part. Uh, they were showing clips. And like there was a one, I guess he went into um, uh, he went into the locker room. I want to say for the Trailblazers, and went in there and like just like showed up in there and like basically tapped him and was like, "You guys better lace up. You get fucking on tonight." And that was the night he went out and hung like sixty one points on him. So I mean, they were just talking like like the stories that they were talking about Jordan because they went and yeah, interviewed not only his teammates but the other people he played against, and he was right. saying like Larry Bird told me how or like uh, really taught me how to talk shit, like. I was like listening to these stories with fucking goosebumps. I was like, Oh my God. And I mean, but uh, there's a guy that completely defies because if you think about it, he was so dynamic early and then he developed other parts of his game, but he always kept that. Uh, I I wouldn't say kept it. I would say he, um, cause he wasn't like, he wasn't doing what he did his rookie year. Like he was, he was flight Jordan for a reason in the beginning and, or air Jordan. And then like still break it out on occasion. I mean, he could pull it out, but, like, it wasn't – like, there's a reason why he has one of the best mid-range games of all time. Like, he has one of the best back-to-basket games of all time because, yeah, he's like, dude, this isn't even efficient. Like, why would I go – and that's where, like, you can take an example like a Derrick Rose, right? Like, this dude was super dynamic and was wrecked all the time. And then he kind of had to take a step back, and he had great numbers this past year because he was super efficient and effective. He wasn't playing above the rim. Like, and that's an example. It's like, look, you combine that, you have a dynamic athlete. Like, and that, I think that's to your point with Jordan. Like, I mean, he wasn't hanging it on someone's head, you know, when he was after wearing 45. Like that, those, those days weren't really happening. But he was so tactile and he was so technically proficient that he could actually get into the space where he can get a nice little dunk in every now and then. But early in his career, he was going over dudes because he could go super athletic oh, on them. It was unreal. And that's where you're like, okay, like we got to understand, like truly like dive deep or else we can just say, yeah, he, he did it both. And it's like, uh, yeah, I mean, he, uh, yeah, I'll give you that. But the, uh, they still showed some highlights from when he was wearing 45 and he was still dunking over people and made doing some ridiculous stuff. I mean, it wasn't like the, I mean, but it just felt like it wasn't this one. It wasn't that. Oh, yeah, yeah, where he was doing (laughs) that. It it wasn't Uh, that. Like the like the fact that he was able to pull that stuff off and then like, you know, like it just. Yeah, I'd like it's pretty funny. Like, uh, I think, you know, people always argue like, oh, you know, who's the best player? And like, you know, you can have a conversation and then you start watching those highlights and you start watching it. You're like, nope, there's no doubt. He's the best. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I couldn't agree with you there, man. Uh, I couldn't agree more with you there. Oh, unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. Him and the great Chicago Bull and your longtime pal, Dennis Rodman. <laughs> I'm sure we'll be making that series. Ah, Rodman. He's such a piece of shit. <laughs> he, uh, okay, like that sounds like some personal experience. We were neighbors in Newport That's Beach. The- that is amazing. Okay. And, and there's a pretty epic story about us on 4th of July. We, uh, me and one of my teammates, Boomer Grigsby, uh, you know, and if you've ever been down to Newport Beach in that area, like on oh, 4th yeah, of July, it turns into the war zone. They close everything off. So we yeah. go down to this, um, this bar 
And as we walk in, uh, like Rodman's in there with like all of his cronies and we come in and we're like ordering drinks. And like, I had known him because, uh, through Tony Gonzalez, like he and Tony used to run together. And then Tony and I obviously, you know, played together and went to college together. And so Rodman comes over and, uh, I can't remember how it goes, but Boomer was wearing, I want to say a Rolex and Rodman looks at it and goes that, uh, that thing's a piece of shit like starts motherfucking boomer about wearing a Rolex, which I thought was so random. And uh, he's like, I got a hundred of those. I fucking wipe my ass with it. You're a dumb piece of like, just out of nowhere, just comes and talking shit. And then like proceeds to get a drink. And I remember I was like, yo man, like what's your deal? And, uh, I can't remember if he went to go push me, but before is before he could push me and I saw the motion, I like two hand jacked him in the chest. And the first thing that hit was the back of his head and he was out. And then, like, his cronies came over, and it was, like, a not a melee because I was going to murder these dudes. But um, they, like, helped him up and, like, we, you know, like, helped him put him in, and he was out. And then so then the security's like, you guys got to go. Mind you, there was probably 10 people in this bar because everybody was out on the street. So then we right. walked downstairs, and uh, the, as we're getting on our bicycles, because that's how you travel, the, <laughs> the valet guy goes, hey, uh, that's Rodman's bike right there. And when it was this, like, beach cruiser that was, like, bigger than ordinary. And uh, we're like, yeah. And he's like, um, fuck that guy. You guys need to steal it. And we're like, yeah, we're going to like my fifth, beach cruiser now. Fifth grade style. So we take off riding on our bikes, riding rods, like, like each holding a handlebar, riding his bike across the parking lot. We get to the end of the parking lot. We might have or might not have had too many drinks, so we weren't really navigating this well. And that's when Dave Bin, who was the snapper for the Chargers, cow guy, pulls up in a Suburban, and he's like, Wellborn, what are you doing? I'm like, we're stealing Rodman's bike. Can you help us? He's like, like, throw it in the back. So we get in, and it's like me and Boomer, we get in, we load the bikes in there, and it's Dave and uh, this girl that he's dating. And uh, when he drives us to our house, which is weird because people aren't really driving on 4th of July. So I don't know why he was in there until we got into the house. And when I think we realized that the girl in the front seat was Pam Anderson. (laughs) And then we all came over to my house and we had a party at my house. And then Rodman showed up there like two hours later looking for his bicycle. (laughs) (laughs) And then there was a whole other melee where I had to throw him out of my house. And then as he was riding his bike away, like just (sighs) there's a part of the story I have to imagine and envision that Rodman came out steamed and he looked at that doorman or the, the car guy whoever yeah. like told you it was his bike he's got to shake him for where's information my where's my bike <laughs> give, me, give me back my bike <laughs> the guy took it well born <laughs> and, then he showed, and the crazy part is I don't know how he found my house the, he, so, so he, he came into my kid. house yeah he came down to my house and uh, we had the bike outside and he came in and uh, like I my memory. I thought you said he was a neighbor. Uh, he lived in the war zone, which was down on the forty, like the like in the forties. I lived yeah. down in the teens, so it was okay, like gotcha. you know, like Newport. Yeah, it, it was. It's a few. Like it's not a long drive, but it's a few blocks. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. yeah, he lived in Newport, but uh, yeah, wow. there's. Fuck, I'm, I I would have to recount the story with like some other people to kind of piece together all the. <laughs> no, you. I mean, now that's a pretty good story. You fill the gaps. Uh, we did knock him unconscious, though. That was pretty good. And then we punked him for his bicycle, fifth grade style. Man, I just wouldn't get in a shoving match with a lineman. You know, that's well, Rodman, five million really hard. Oh, dude, I hit him how, so how hard. Tall is Rodman? He, he's six six, six seven. I so think. Y'all are like eye to eye. Yeah. And uh, he like as he was going to put his hands on me, it was kind of like in slow motion. Well, his arms are freaking seven two. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, as he's getting close to me, I'm like, man, this ain't gonna happen. Like they do, boom, and he went, boom, 
and he went right down. And then I realized, I was like, oh, I might have hit him too hard. <laughs> and, and then the, the hilarious part is, like, TMZ had it. There was something on TMZ about it. Uh, they were like, Dennis Rodman got into an altercation with an offensive lineman in the NFL. And, like, I saw these TMZ reports, and I was like, oh, shit. Uh, Am I going to get a phone call epic. about this? I can't lie. That's pretty epic, though. Um, yeah, there were a lot of shenanigans. It was a, good, it, it was a great life. Now we are in quarantine. So not let to touch people like as that. As your anymore. life coaching your basketball players, just say, don't get in a shoving match with offensive linemen. <laughs> Facts. It's like, guys, I'm going to save you a lot of heartache here. Don't mess with uh, any heart. Dude, don't we, do we used to see, uh, when I lived in Philly, we used to see uh, Iverson out. And, uh, dude, favorite he, player of all time. He was tiny. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, like, yeah. like, if you saw him, it, like, he, like, I still to this day, like, seeing Iverson and being like, you got to be kidding me. It's Allen Iverson. Right. Uh, he was uh, like, I don't know what his stats were, but like they were many. They were small and frail. Oh, like he was I'm tiny. I mean, that's and, why that's why everyone loved him, because he was like, oh, that's feasible. Mm-hmm. Like he's end. my height. Like he's not you don't have to be six foot six to be an MVP. You don't have to be. And that's why Allen Iverson. And plus, he was controversial as can be. Yeah. But I love him because he's from Virginia too. But that's why. Well, I mean, was he five? Is he five ten? From what I understood, he listed at six foot, but there's no way. Yeah, no, he was probably five ten, one sixty five, maybe like a like a thin. It, it was incredible, hey, do you, man. Do you think he lifted weights? No, no, <laughs> he didn't he even practice. Girls? I mean, at some point, he had to grow, do some awesome curls. He never. His arms look big, right? He he didn't even. Okay, like he, I know he didn't lift weights. He didn't even like to practice. You don't remember that whole thing where he's like practice, yeah, practice, practice. Right. What are we talking about right. here? Practice. I mean, he didn't even want to practice. So I mean, I, I know he wasn't lifting weights, and I sure as hell know the the strength coach wasn't like writing him up. However, uh, Alan, you missed way, uh, weight room training this morning. I got to think basketball players care what their arms look like in a jersey. That is very true, actually. Right? That is so. That's the one thing that I sell my guys on. Like <laughs> ever since I was like 22, that I was like, "Hey, guys, look. At the end of the day, it's tank top season year round. Right? So, <laughs> like at the end of the day, like it's like you wear a jersey, and if you got fat arms, then you need to lose body fat because you yeah. look like a fat ass. Or if you have skinny arms, you look like a child. So at the end of the day, if mm-hmm. I can just let's just do curls and tricep extensions to the cows come on. We, if we start with that, then we can start sneaking in like, hey, man, you know, you know your balance, right? Like maybe we do squat a little bit or maybe yeah. we do deadlift a Dude. little bit. And I'll say, hey, you know your back? Your back's gotten bigger, so now that jersey just hangs on you. Man, yo, you are thick, man. Look at you. Like, that's that what it gets Carl Malone. To. Dude, don't, yeah. do you remember when Carl yeah. Malone came out with like the, like the big-ass guns and was looking the part? Like Carl Malone looked good. He was one of the most impressive. Him and David Robinson. Yeah. The two most impressive. I mean, you could talk about Ben Wallace and some of those others, but Carl Malone yep. actually had like the thick, like thick torso, and then like, oh, he was yeah. impressive. Yeah, he had shoulders had the and, and traps. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, he Period. was thick, man. I mean, they're yeah. like, and the the best part is when he slammed the ball. Like that's why they called him the mailman. Like he delivered it. It was like it wasn't just like a slam. It was like I'm gonna break it. Oh, I love. Yeah. I'm Carl Malone. What is that Chappelle show? No, that's yeah. Jimmy Kimmel. Jimmy Kimmel? No, 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 was no, no that Chappelle. Was that Chappelle? Was it? I'm pretty yeah. sure it's Chappelle, right? <laughs> I don't know. That's like Dude, Oh, wait. No, that's not Chappelle. That's not Chappelle. I'm tripping. Dude, you yeah. know the Chappelle show was like 
15, 20 years ago. I do not know that. Okay, don't say that. Don't say that. No, I I know what's hilarious is uh, I just saw like they were like, oh, the 20th anniversary of the Chappelle show. And I like fell off my chair. I was like, and then all of a sudden as they're showing it, I'm like, that's still hilarious. I don't care if it gets yep. released. Uh, the Rick yep. James and playing basketball with Prince. You Prince, yes. You want some pancakes? Yeah. Bitches. Game oh. <laughs> Like, still that some is, of them. That is generationally couch. hilarious. Like, it doesn't even matter. Like, it will be timeless. Like, just, people don't even know how, have to know who Prince is. <laughs> that's going to still be funny. Oh, Corey, do your players now know Chappelle Show? So even though they they were in, what, middle school? No, they, they weren't even born yet. They From my understandings, we, we're uh, everyone's familiar with Dave Chappelle. From my understanding, <laughs> they're probably. I mean, are are they like as? Well, I'm sure that they've all watched it. I mean, it's on Netflix and all that, so they probably yes. have access. So, and then you go, then you probably could wormhole it, and then you get to like his best bits. Dude, the, yeah. my my favorite part was uh, when I played for the Eagles. We used to drive up, and on Monday nights, we would go to the China Club with some of the. <laughs> uh, with some of the Yankees and also some of the Giants that we would hang out with. So uh, as soon as he's like, yeah, we rolled into the China Club, I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> I know that <laughs> We used to hang out at the China Club. The China Club, there was a, uh, there was a, a, a lot of bad stuff went down at the China Club. But that was like, that was Charlie Murphy's story. So yeah. that's the great yeah. part. Too. Like, man, Charlie Murphy was great on Maybe he's like, you like hits him. <laughs> oh, fuck. Like, like, the, like the, the whole thing when he's like, Charlie been taking like uh, martial arts, like karate with little kids, beating up on little kids. And he's like, a front kicked him to the chest. <laughs> like, like, there was some, like, uh, like, I remember actually watching that, like when it came out and just like, uh, like exploding and being like, dude, yeah. this is. Man, I think I'm going to break it out. I think I'm going to break it out this weekend. Oh, like, yeah, go find to. some old Chappelle show and maybe pop on a little Zoom with some buddies. You know, a uh, coordinated Chappelle show. You know what was the death of that show? Oh man, I'm crying. Do, do you remember what the death was? Uh, so, got paid too much. Do you know? Um, do you remember when the skit they came out with at the very end with like? Um, oh, he, told, he did it in a stand up. No, he? it was like, um, and I'm gonna, you know, the I don't know. Can we call it the N word? Yeah, the, the Niger family. Okay. And you remember when he goes that whole thing with the white people and he comes in and so he's doing that whole bit. And I guess he pitched it before the lawyers and like, you know, they had like, cause they they had lawyers here. Okay. Is this okay to go on? And he said when they originally did all the things, the lawyers and like, would just sit there and stone face and be like, no, no, we can't do this. And he went and did it. All of a sudden when they did that skit, he looked over and like the white lawyers and all the people were dying laughing for the first time. Mm -hmm. And he's like, let's jump the shark. It's over. And that was like he knew that oh, that was okay. the death yeah. nail. He that, said, that all he, was, that, didn't he mention it in one of his stand-ups or something? I, I want to say, I, I remember that story. But yeah, that's yeah, and, maybe it's from you telling. Yeah, me. and, and like I, I forgot it was in like one of his interviews or whatnot. But uh, he's like, you know, that's when I knew it was dead. When I was counterculture, and then all of a sudden, mm-hmm. these people that like were the ones I was, you know, making fun of, like all of a sudden they were <laughs> bought in. You know, like do you guys remember like the John Mayer one when he's like, we've taken John that Mayer, was funny. and they put him in like the uh, the, the barber shop in Harlem, barbershop, and they start looking yeah. at him, and then they bring in like the spa- like like the uh, um, uh, like the keyboards, and they start the playing, electronic like, keyboards. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and there'd always be the dude in the back doing the robot. Oh, fuck. <sighs> my, my favorite was Wayne Brady. Wayne and he's Brady? just got this dark side. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> this, wow. Uh, do, uh, do you get an opportunity, especially with like the younger players being like, I got something for you. You need to watch this. 
Yeah, so we, we break out some things from time to time that it's like they, they just you know they had no prior knowledge of. Right. And you just like you just drop these gems like, hey, hey, come in the office for a minute and you just throw on a skit or you throw on like old SNL or something like that and they just have no clue. Just no clue what's about to hit them. And then that's what I mean. Like th- that's why like a guy like Richard Pryor yeah. uh, was so important because he's still funny to this day. Oh yeah, yeah. Richard like you Pires. watch Richard, you watch Harlem Nights. You watch yeah. that is still funny to this day, and that's why like it's always a home run. Like all right, guys, come on in here. Like watch this. You're always going to get a good laugh. Did uh, do, do you show him the Chappelle with the uh, the sex contract when he like, takes economy? He's like Kobe, and he shoots it, which which is <laughs> yeah. funny because every time I, I hear somebody like like shoot something in a trash can, they're like Kobe, and they shoot Kobe. it. Oh God! Like the look on Chappelle's face when like he's going over the contract and he's like, "Are you consenting to anal?" And the girl looks. He's like, "Well, I'll put a no on that one." <laughs> like that's like that sex contract. Uh, it could not have been a more funny situation when I was an NFL player. Where like, did you see that? And they were like, "Man, that's a pretty good idea." Kobe, and they shoot it. Oh, fine. So like, I can imagine showing that to the young guys and then being like, "Oh, that's why people say Kobe when they shoot anything in the trash can." Oh, I get it. I get it. I get it. R.I.P. Yeah, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, that 2020 ain't starting out very good. Dude. We lost Kobe, yeah. and now we got this stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping 2021 is our year. So tonight's New Year's. We're going to start 2021 early. Let it rip. Then- hey, I, my birthday's at the end of this month. So me and one of the players, we both have birthdays during April. And so we came up to a conclusion. We're like, you know what? Because of all this, we actually don't have a birthday this year. Like, I'm not turning 33. I'm still 32. That's and awesome. I get to keep on to just one year. Like, it's a mulligan year. Like, I get to, uh, I, I'll my celebrate was 33 March 30th. next year. Yeah, yeah my birthday so, was March 30th, and it was like, uh, Hey, sorry, man. You're, not, you're, you're, yeah, you're the same age. I'm like, don't, don't count it. Don't, okay. don't count it. I'm in. Don't, I'm except in. for when, like, we start collecting Social Security. They didn't count it. <laughs> they got to get that year. But uh, I'm telling you, I'm not counting it. I'm not. I refuse. You just take it as, like, a wild card. So you can celebrate it at any point at any time. Ooh, I you know like what I mean? That. And like, it doesn't That's even have to smooth. be like, it could be 2026 and it could be, you know, Vegas. October right. and there's a cheap flight right. to Vegas and you're like, mm, it's my birthday weekend. Like right before <laughs> season starts, I'm going to go, all right, guys, it's my birthday. <laughs> so, so, so what's going to yes. be the status with the NBA? I'm just wondering, like, oh, uh, no clue. Yeah, I mean, it, like, I, I was uh, texting with Kennedy, and he's strength coach in Detroit, mm-hmm. and I'm like, he's like, I'm at home in Nashville. I'm like, when when are you guys like getting rolling? And he's like, uh, I, that's why you got Jerry Jones and uh, Mark Cuban on Trump's steering committee for how to restart the. You know, these guys are like, oh, we got to get these fucking games going. Yeah, I mean, it's um, man, money money's being lost, bro. Money oh. is being lost. Well, you saw the XFL folded. Oh yeah. yeah, they folded. I mean, which yeah. uh, like I turned it on. It, it was it, it was entertaining to see an alternate reality of what the NFL could be if they if they changed up and had that like a little more personality to it. But I mean, shit, they folded. Well, yeah, Houston's team, the Is Roughnecks, that- they had a Willie Beeman basically. So a dude just wheeling. Amazing. And he was fun Amazing. to watch. And he got signed, didn't he? I believe so. Yeah. I'll, I'll follow up that, but man, I, I had fun just well, rooting for hometown. So at but least for, Houston did, did, has a team that's worth rooting for because the burn. Texans are fucking awful. So, Jay Welly, is it indefinite or is it like axed XFL? Uh, they basically yeah, they, went BK know. over. 
which what I was kind of bummed. Yeah, super, super bummed because there's no NFL Europe. There's no like the, the like what's always been really nice on like yeah, baseball, into- but also in, in basketball is they have all of these bitch in like feeder leagues that like feed to yeah. the NBA and they like guys can go to Europe. They can play here and here. And a guy who might not be ready can develop himself and come back and be a beast. Like to me, that's, you know, with the NFL, it's like, oh, college. OK, then no, get the fuck out. So that's a question for you, Corey. Like as the the head strength and conditioning coach of the the Phoenix Suns, do you have do you have assistants? Do you feed down to the feeder leagues? Is it like as expansive as MLB's strength coaches, where they go all the way down to single A, just working up towards the the head guy at the majors? Yeah, it's the exact same concept. So we have our G League, the NAZ Suns, um, and so we're basically a farm system just like that. And so it's just. For us, it's it's just one team. So it's the G League team, our NAZ Suns, and they feed into the Phoenix Suns. Um, what you can see, though, is I believe, and once again, this is a feeling. This is not factual. This is just what I what I believe is because of the state of college basketball right now and what it's going to, that you're going to see vit, like the G League become a lot more popular, and they're going to start feeding more money into the G League to keep guys from going to Europe keep them in the States and then keep them in the NBA to develop. Um, Cause it just makes sense. I mean, baseball is wildly successful for it. Premier league soccer, wildly successful with the sporting academies. It just makes sense that the NBA does the same thing. The only thing that they're doing now is they're instead of having like a trickle down effect, that is one stream. You have AAU and then you just that like it's ungoverned and it's kind of all over the place. But once, because of like the scandals and college basketball and all that, I can, I can see the G League becoming very, very prominent in the in the United States. Yeah, and they're doing away with the one and done rule. Is that correct? I I don't know if that's for sure, but when that happens, I think college basketball will be better. I think a hundred percent. Anyways, back to your question. Sorry. Yes, I. So I have a, an assistant. Um, so we split basically the team. Um, and so from there, like, that's how we handle all the guys. And we have a very large support staff. Everybody has their specialty and niche. So it's, it's pretty impressive the amount of care that these guys get just within the house. How much attention is, does the foot get on these guys? Because they have such Ooh. huge feet. And I think, like, of all the basketball buddies I've got, their feet are flat, like collapsed arches. And I think that's because, like, we, we thought maybe high, the high-arched shoes and basketball shoes and high-ankle type mm-hmm. of shoes. Like, is there, is, there any, is there any controversy surrounding the foot within the training space for NBA players? Man, it, it's for any player. Like, it's NFL. It's, I mean, for me, the foot is everything. I mean, a dang, um, what's it called? A frozen toe or... Um, you know, anything could derail someone's career indefinitely um, from the lower leg complex. And for basketball, it's the same. So let's just talk about it from, you know, a, um, a bird's eye view standpoint. When you think of basketball and you think of the foot, what do they generally do? Tape and brace. Right. So we tape and brace the structure so that it doesn't do what its job is to do to protect it from that. Right. And so they do this year round. They tape and brace. So I want you to imagine just taping and bracing your fist like this and then go play basketball or go do anything. It's like, ah, that's probably not going to be that efficient. Or even just taping the wrist and trying to shoot. That's going to alter your skill set, right, from something 
like a, like a skill like passing or shooting or catching. Now just imagine the same thing happening at your foot when you're running and jumping and the amount of forces that you're creating. So I, early in my career, I found that it is so important to get the individuals out of shoes as much as humanly possible because they are so compromised in their lower leg complex. I mean, there's more joints in the foot than there are in the entire body. Yeah. And you're going to tell me we're going to rock bones. Yeah. More bones. Yeah. Yeah. More. Thank you. More bones. Do, um, Um, do do they require, uh, all basketball players to tape their ankles before games? To me, it's, to me, it's all personal. Okay. Cause in the NFL, we had a deal where like, uh, if you didn't tape your ankles and you got your ankle hurt, you got fined. Right. So, Um, which was ridiculous. Yeah. Right. From my understanding, it, it's all personal. Um, but like, for instance, if you have a pre-existing injury or something that happened in the past and you're you know, recovering from, then obviously there's going to be some steps taken that make sure that that's um, taken care of. But I mean, from my my biggest issue is the thing that comes into contact with the ground the most is obviously your foot and it's the most compromised joint and it's the most compromised limb. And so from there, you're like, OK, um, what else is compromised? And so when you create stiffness in the foot, your body self-organizes and it creates stiffness everywhere else. So if your foot is not mobile and your hips are now not mobile, well, guess what? That knee has to be mobile. And what do you think happens then? Yeah, knee injuries. That's where 100%. So that's why you got to have so much attention to the lower leg and to the hip so that the body can self-organize and have freedom of movement to distri- or distribute energy or forces uh, or dissipate them even, or not evenly, but more uh, cons- uh, concise. Dude, I, needed, right? I used to tape my ankles like uh, three hours ahead of time, and then I would squirt water in them and like right. get them to get so as that, loose as possible so that they were, you know, because it like... Which it, does the exact opposite of what everybody said they should do. Yeah, right? it, because like, exactly. I mean, dude, uh, like they basically tape your ankle with these heel locks in this like kind of like fixed, like not dorsiflexion, not plantar flexion. You're just kind of locked in this, yeah, in this weird position. And then if, if the ankle's freshly taped when you go to take a step and you get into dorsiflexion, all of a sudden what it does is it drives all this blood and stress into your calf and your fucking calf cramps. And so, like, uh, like for me, I was like, I'd get there early, get my ankles taped, and I would like, kind of like <laughs> squirt water and I'm loosen them up, make sure they were nice and loose, and then I'd be like, God damn, like, like these things, you know, it, it just it it always seemed uh, like an ass backwards thing. Like, why do you want to lock my ankle in this position when right. you know my ability to go from plantar to dorsiflexion with speed and running, like th- that's paramount. Now all of a sudden you're locking me in this position. Now what am I doing? Hobbling like I got a club leg? So it well, never made more. sense to me. But even more so, like the intricacies of the foot itself, like even at the midfoot, like we pretend that our foot just does this. But in reality, there's all of this. Yeah, the Liz Frank. Yeah, and you're sitting here like, okay, guys, like we're just going to wrap this thing up and hope hope that everything is going to work out. If you do that, that's totally fine. Like I understand the protective nature of it. And there's a lot that says, I mean, they've been doing it since the dawn of day for a reason, right? But you have to back it up with so much foot and, uh, foot care and health to supersede what you're doing to it via sport and competition. So, if you just so let it do, be. Oh. So what do you all do to compromise or uh, complement that? Well, there's a lot of manual work that's performed by our sports medicine staff. Um, and from us, we, we do a lot of barefoot. Like, and I, especially in college, like we trained barefoot as much as humanly possible. I had this awesome wrestling room at stanford it was the size of a half court it was huge 
And so we would go in there and that's where we'd spend most of our off season, um, especially with our warmups, our cool downs. And then some of our general training was done in that, in that room because I could safely have them able to, uh, to train barefooted. And so the softness of it, I'm not using it because that's a safety and I'm using it to expand the joints because it's more malleable. And so we'd go out and we do barefoot runs on the turf. Um, there's all sorts of things that we did just to make sure that it's like, look, I know this thing's going to be compromised once we get in season. If I can develop that foundation to be as strong as humanly possible, it's, it's going to hopefully build a more robust system. It's the same idea as you're only, your deadlift is only as strong as your grip strength. Yeah. It's the same idea. Like I'm telling you, if you don't deadlift and you do a junk load of grip work for a month and then you go back and deadlift, your deadlift's fine, if not better. It's all because uh, of the sensation of it being in your hands. Yeah. And so that's we, where we tried that. <sighs> yeah, we're great. Deadlifting's still fucking hard. Yeah. Like, oh, deadlifting. I mean, oh, absolutely. <laughs> like absolutely. we we've tried to train like grip and all this stuff, and then you go back and you deadlift, and you're like, my hands felt fine, but god damn it, my back and my fucking my shoulders <laughs> and my like, dude, I, I deadlifted heavy last Friday, and uh, my left shoulder, which is my better of the two shoulders, I have had like this tightness, soreness in the rear do- delt where it like connects back into the trap. For like fucking six, seven days, and I'm like, God damn it, what is that? I'm like, Oh yeah, deadlifting. Dead yeah, deadlifting heavy. Yeah. Fuck me. Corey, do you have? I mean, at the uh, end of the day, everything needs to be present. But yeah, I get what you're saying. Are you are you plugged into? We've been throwing a, a good amount of active foot type of squatting and lunging, where the heels off the ground and your base support yes. is essentially ball of the foot with like your toes intentionally splayed and driving in the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've been throwing a lot of that into our training, and it's been changing people's lives. Um, yeah, same. Are you plugged in on same. that stuff? Yeah, yeah me, me and my assistant, Jeff Dolan, he dove deep into, you know, Cal Dietz's work, who's mm-hmm. the first uh, exposure to that that I got. Right. But, I mean, when you just once again, if you just go to sport and you just, um, like, just watch slow motion actions, when are you ever on your heels? Like, when you're demonstrating force, I've never seen anybody demonstrate force with their heels when they're sprinting, changing direction. Or, or vertical jumping, shin. Either. Or that uh, oh. that, was, that was the one that blew my mind. Is that um, yeah. and I was on a yeah I was on Marty Gallagher's podcast and uh, I was talking to him about you know the way that you know he was like oh did you did you notice changes in athleticism and this and I was like yeah when I went from doing uh, a standard powerlifting squat with a vertical shin to wearing Oli shoes and squatting with a ton of uh, a positive shin angle with my knee way over my toes uh, not only did I get stronger I got faster athleticism went up and he's like what do you mean. I was like, well, dude, have you ever seen in any sport sprinting running when there isn't positive shin angle? When when would there be negative, uh, like a, a, a vertical shin angle? And he's like, oh, we agree to disagree. And I'm like, yo, man, uh, I know I'm on your podcast, but uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna agree with you that you're right because I know I'm wrong. I know that I'm right. And uh, I was like, just look at sport. I'm like, you just abandon what you're thinking. And it's like you have to get a vertical shin angle, or you have to get a positive shin angle, knee over the toe, because that's where we see it in sport. And then like later, and then Jim Steele hit me up. He's like, you know, you're totally right. I'm like, I, like I didn't know I was fucking that you guys actually I'm thought I was wrong. wrong. No, right. but I mean that one, like just seeing uh, Cal's numerous presentations and you know being friends and talking with him at. You know, he kind of brought that up and I was like, fuck, man. And then like purposely putting people, you know, like lifting it up, getting the heel off the ground. So it's forcing yep. that position and putting all the stress. It was really a, a, a very ingenious, incredible observation. That's why that dude's so sharp. Mm-hmm. Well, for wonder- six years, I've been heel elevating guys because I was trying to solve a bigger problem. Like I, their squat sucked. <laughs> like you'd have them yeah, squat and they turn leg, into right? a... Yeah, they turn into an RDL. And I'm like, okay, well, that's probably putting a lot of shearing forces on their low back. 
And so no wonder why these guys won't ever squat any appreciable weight. And they're creating so much tension throughout their entire body. And I'm like, for reps, I'm like, man, like that's only 135 on your back. Like there, there's something wrong with this picture. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I slide in five pound plates under their heels and whoop, torso angle goes up. They're relaxed more. They're sitting right down. I'm like, oh. okay, so I'm going to, I'm going to use an orthotic to decompromise one joint to globally train the rest of the joints. And so I've been doing that for six or seven years now. And that's why I use you know, even Chinese weightlifters, they have the weightlifting shoe and then they add another heel yeah. to it. Why? Cause it's advantageous. Like it just makes sense, but that's just to complete a lift for me. It's to train the body. And especially for these long dudes through a full range of motion for joint health and connective tissue. So that just makes all the sense in the world to me. It's like, man, now just remove the heel. Oh, wow. They got a really weak lower leg complex. Mm -hmm. Now they can't even without that heel dropping. And when that heel drops, that knee kicks back. And when that knee kicks back, that torso goes forward. And now their lower back is screwed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now what happens at high velocities when they're jumping and sprinting? Well, that's why the trap bar has got to be so advantageous for you guys. Absolutely. Like, uh, yeah, I mean, all of a sudden now you're kind of taking out of the equation. Now you don't have to move the bar around the shins and the squat. Like, I mean, geez, for, for taller athletes, um, you know, for guys like for those guys, like I think the trap bar is like probably one of the best advances I've seen for actually guys that are like six, five, you know, even, I mean, six, 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 eight, six, you know, that have super long legs. Like we've seen people go in and, you know, working with athletes to try to get them to pull a deadlift and squat. And you're like, oh, my God. Did you clock that um, transformer bar? Duffin's transformer bar to accommodate for that too. Uh, I think that Duffin's transformer bar would be so helpful for for a taller guy because Did they you have clock that, it the other way. Uh, and it shifts yeah. to center mass forward. Yeah, 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 and you make it more like what would be like almost like a kettlebell kind of a, a goblet squat yeah. front squat. So I've played with all the angles, and there's definitely there is one that's there's that. there's certain like I found which angles are more advantageous for me mm-hmm. versus you know and you could kind of understand it. It's uh, but I, I think that thing is is uh is really really nice especially for taller athletes you know mm-hmm. teaching them how to like drive out and engage the lats yeah, for me it's it's three simple things for tall athletes when it comes to specialty bars it's a trap bar obviously i like an open face one so you can do single leg work um it's a safety squat bar like it you're referring to with the transformer bar and then it's a belt squat oh yeah, yeah. and those are the things and if you look at all those they all have the same thing in mind it's center of mass what belt squat that do you way, like Ooh, my favorite, uh, the Tiger Belt Squat from Elite FTS. Okay. And then that's similar to like the West Side one where it's on pulleys and Very, a cable? So I had that one at Stanford. It was called the Athletic Training Platform. Yeah. That was by far my favorite. By far. But that Tiger Belt Squat has more options and it's basically the exact same thing. So um, but, we have yeah. one here, but we also uh, picked up a Pit Shark, which... Uh, I don't like the Pit Shark. It is... <laughs> I do. You can lose fucking uh, thousand pounds. It is. Uh, we call it like it's really good for the your ego. Yeah, 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 yeah. We have the strength. Dude, yeah. We loaded every forty-five we had on that thing and did it for yeah, like and ten. Smoke it for reps. Oh, yeah. And then I had to go buy hundreds. So like I, we had hundreds. I had to go get more hundreds just so that because we couldn't get any more plates on this thing. And I'm like, and then so it's funny because the Rock always posts pictures and people like the guys are where I'm like, it's a fucking pit shark, dude. I'm like, I'm like, if there's don't talk if there's not at least ten plates on a pit shark. I'm not even like I'm. I'm gonna fucking keep scrolling. Mm-hmm. It's great I for mean, calf that, raises. That, Most expensive calf yes. raise machine we have. Because <laughs> you threw away my calf raise, you son Whoa, of a bitch. We're talking about old shit, man. You know, that was like eight years, nine years ago. <laughs> that's why I like. That's why I like kettlebells too. 
you know, yeah. same same exact reason, man. Like it's to me, there's nothing more universal that can cross pollinate in every spectrum of qualities you're trying to achieve than a kettlebell. And so that's where any of these like dumbbells, I guess you could say the same. Uh, but I mean, when we're really trying to train athletes, I think the one thing we got to really look back on is like, look, as strength coaches, we all step back and go, yo, this is what makes me awesome because I wasn't that good in sport, excluding you. It's like, I got to lift heavier weights and that makes me the strength coach, strong, strong, strong. But in reality, it's like, okay, what is actually best for this athlete in this situation? And that's why for me, it's like a old tools or an old like workshop. You know, you got tools from back in like the seventies and brand new tools. Now you got it to me, you have to have a spectrum of tools to work with to accommodate everyone from, because let's be honest, man, there's a feel to it too. Like if you're truly a weightlifter, there's, you know, a bar, like you can feel a bar, like, oh, that bar's got some whip, like. You know, like that Alico bar does this and the Texas power bar does this. It's the exact same, but the only difference is we're doing it with novices in the weight room. And that's why you have to have different means. And, you know, to be honest with you, machines, remember those old pre-core machines with the camber and you could change the force velocity or excuse yeah. me, the strength yeah, curve the, of it? Yeah, uh, the, what were they called? Uh, the free motion machines. Yeah. One of the, the, yeah. the ones oh, with the oh, arms? No, 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 no. Not a camber. So, for instance, like say like a, it's, a, it's a curl machine, right? A preacher curl machine. You could change the camber on it so that it now, like, it gets light at the bottom, heavy in the middle, mm. light at the top. I, yeah, I do remember that. Or then you can change it. Uh, Those like the, the, the pulley, the camber. Fitness, right? yeah, 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 yeah. And it was on the now, weight stack. Yeah. yeah and yeah, you man. could do it. Yes. And then they had three different ways you could load a stack, too. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then uh, now Prime Fitness made that very popular. They brought that machine back. And when you think about joint angles for these guys, like, you got to think the excursion for them to start something would be so much harder than it is for us. Sure. So then you put it in the middle and then, oh man, now we're actually like hitting ranges and quote unquote targeting. And that's, it just makes sense for those athletes. So that's where it's like, you can go full board and have every machine on the planet, which is great. But when it comes to like, okay, if I'm training tall athletes for general strength and some athleticism, kettlebell, safety squat bar, trap bar, and a belt squat, I could do a ton with just that alone. So, and maybe a hammer incline, hammer strength <laughs> incline, which is my favorite machine. I, I like a pec deck, but okay. Oh, I do. I do like a pec like deck. Like this pec deck too. Uh, no, this pec deck, not, not that one. <laughs> I, I like the one that has the handle. No, the, no and, 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 and I'll tell you why. Because after you do this one, you can flip around, face it, and then you can do this one. Oh, yeah. so, so that's why I always oh. like the handle one. There's a really shitty one at the Gold's Gym that I – I, I became a member because they had that machine <laughs> with the hammer incline. Now, if we could just find those, but the problem is, is anything that looks like weight equipment is like yeah. gonna ex- exponent. Oh, so, Corey, I'm I'm gonna get a little out of my comfort zone here. So, if I sound like an asshole, correct me. But um, you're not like you're not hitting. You're not just limiting the kettlebell to like the standard RKC kind of like Olympic kettlebell type stuff and swinging, right? You've taken, from what I understand, a different approach and a little more open chain type of tomfoolery with K- with KBs. <laughs> I do do some tomfoolery with the kettlebell. Jazzy well, bells? Um, is, it, is it jazzy, jazzy bills? bells? J- jazzy bells. So, well. I, so break it down. At the end of the day, it's got, there's got to be a problem. And then I got to find a solution for that problem. And there's all sorts of means and methods and tools that I could use to solve these problems, right? And for me, I like, you know, Bosch, right? Franz Bosch's work mm-hmm. yeah. when it comes to self-organizing. 
And so I'm not going to do a staggered legged clean into a box with a guy who makes millions of dollars, you know, for, for what reason? Like that's going to take so long to teach them how to do that. And they're not going to get any juice out of it anyways. And so, and I'll try to keep this brief, but it's probably, I'll, I'll probably digress a ton of times. So just bear with me. Perfect. But with the, with the kettlebell and what I do with it is it all started from a gentleman um, who introduced this kettlebell partner passing to me. Right. And this guy's awesome. His name's Tony at kettlebell partner passing on Instagram. Awesome dude. Right. But anyways, what he did was we had at Stanford, you know, Stanford, um, where we actually, he introduced it, just throwing a kettlebell back and forth to each other. And you're all sitting there like, like, what do you mean throwing a kettlebell? And it's like, well, essentially the way I looked at it is he's doing a kettlebell swing slash squat and releasing it and throwing it to me. And then I now have to self-organize from a neck up standpoint, I'll go, oh God, there's timing to this. Don't kill me, kettlebell. And I have to manipulate myself around to catch it in a smooth like fashion, absorb it, and then re-release it. When you think about that, that's 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 athletics in all of general. Like contraction, relaxation, timing, rhythm, coordination. And then now we just add heavier weights and now we got load. So I tore my Achilles back in November. And when I tore my Achilles, I was like, shit, man, like, how am I going to get back from this? And so after all the ISOs in the world, after all the, you know, eccentrics, and then eventually getting some concentrics of the calf raise machine and all this, I'm sitting there like, well, when do I get the plyometrics? Like, I mean, that's the last thing, right? Is that elasticity, that whip, that like, when am I going to get that back? Well, I can't do that because I can't jump. Like, I'm not even close to jumping. So how am I going to experience those eccentric loads at high velocities without ever leaving the ground? And then I remembered six months before that, I'm like, oh, wait, I did that crazy kettlebell partner passing thing. So, what, like, so a 203? Back up. like how heavy, like that, 150, 203? So, yeah, so we got to the 203. Okay, I'll tell cool. you that story here in a second. <laughs> so then I got, and then, so, I was, so when I was at Stanford, I had this cool little room, which basically no one knew about. And I would just, you know, invite some of the interns or invite some of the staff and be like, hey, man, dude, like, just come train and we'll just do this. And so we started like basically like this little club and we would throw kettlebells at each other every day and we okay. became pretty dang good at it. And then it got to the point where we're like, OK, well, we need goals and objectives here. Like we need to get to something. So then it's like, OK, what's the heaviest kettlebell? OK, a 203. How many times do you think we can do it? I think we can get 20 passes total. And OK, let's go for it. And it took us, you know, a good week to get to that. And then we're like, okay, well, what else can we do? Oh, go to 50. Okay, let's go to 50. And then it was go to 100. And so now we're able to throw it back and forth, a 203-pound kettlebell going from person to person, 50 passes each successfully without it touching the ground. And so there's so many aspects that go into that that are beyond, like, weightlifting, that are beyond athletics. Like, you're tying in everything in the one. And that's where it's like, if you want to develop, that's a pretty good developing tool. It's a really, really good developing tool. I'm not, maybe not the 203, but working up in progressive overload in that sense, you're developing the, the special sprint, uh, strength it would take to be athletic, which is high eccentric loading, like high velocity eccentric loading. So what we did is we just kept working on this. And then it was like, okay, well, I don't have a partner today. What can I do? So then you just throw it to yourself. So then we just basically do this swing into a high pull hybrid let it fall, catch it at the last second, and then redistribute that force. And what's beautiful about all of this is 
it's rhythmic and it's cyclical. What other cyclical plyometrics do you see out there? There's jump roping, there's sprinting, and you know, there's some of these other things, but it's like, well, what if you can't do that? So for me, I tore my Achilles in November and I played pickup five and a half months later. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know many people that pulled that one off, mm-hmm. not from an Achilles tear. So that's where I was like, okay, I got some of that. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm still lacking. Like, I'm not healed, but like, by any stretch of the imagination, I'm not who I used to be. But an Achilles is one of those, it doesn't matter. An ACL, you can come back. But an Achilles, I mean, it's going to take some, it's going to take some years to get that. Yeah. But I was able to play pickup at a pretty high level before I got hurt just five and a half months later because I prepared the tissues of the body under those type of loads that are very similar to the actual forces it takes to run and jump. And so that's where I started getting like, okay, let's get lighter bells and let's do more frontal plane work. Let's do more triplanar if that's another fancy term now, like triplanar work, let's do things that are actually athletic in nature that are not just sagittal. And so I'm telling you, like some of the things that you can get accomplished with just throwing the bell back and forth to yourself. Now to the listeners out there, I mean, please like watch some videos uh, and I like watch, watch some videos because dude, we have a two Oh three jazzy. Bells and, for sure, and, uh, it's um, like, a so, so we did uh, a version like, I think we had like an 80 something and then I watched, uh, or I think I read like a Pavel or maybe it was, no, you, went, you were on, um, Ferrugia's podcast. Yeah. It was remember? On, yeah. And he told me the story that I guess Andy Bolton hurt his back squatting. So he didn't squat anymore. He just deadlifted, but he still competed in the squat. So they uh, ended up getting him a 203 pound kettlebell and he did 10 swings on the minute for 10 minutes. It was like his workout. So uh, I came home, uh, and the Kettlebell Kings is here in Austin, so I drove up there. They, they, I got 106, a 150, and a 203. And uh, I started with the 150, and I did uh, 10 swings on the minute for 10 minutes, and I worked up to the 203 for 10 swings on the minute for 10 minutes. And uh, I, I fucking imploded. Like, like I yeah. got done with that, and I, I don't think I've actually – Picked up the two hundred three to swing. It. <laughs> I don't think you've looked at it. You come. You just kind of, oh yeah, yeah. I, I like go right up. I'm like pictures. I, I see there. Like I can't even see it. I think like you remember uh, JL was talking about. You have like a blind spot. Yeah. I'm not kidding you. Like I like I, as I was walking back down to the house, I was like having like this discussion. Like what am I doing with my life? Who am I? Like I was questioning everything. Right. And, and like so when you said you you were throwing that thing fifty times without touch, I'm like holy shit, like. Well, I mean, uh, we have the uh, world record, <laughs> me and my man, Eric, uh, who he's now with the uh, Memphis Grizzly uh, assistant, but uh, we got 126 done in Santa Barbara. Um, wow. And that was, I'm not going to lie, man, it's, it's just at one point you just go black and you just try to figure out a way to get it done. And to be honest, like what other sports, you, you experience that in other sports, like martial arts you experience it and weightlifting crossfit like you experience it in all these other sports too how can you do it in a, in a truly controlled manner and that's mm. what i love about this it's pass fail and the great thing about it i still I've, i introduced it to our basketball team at stanford i had uh 10 dudes lined up in an off season and everybody was throwing for 45 minutes i taught them all how to do it within a two-day period Day one was just like, you know, learning, you know, making sure the swings were good, learning how to self-pass, learning touch. And then day two, and we spent 30 minutes on that. And then day two, we got into throwing. And for 45 minutes, we only had two drops. I'm like, this ain't hard to teach. And I think it gets more than the Olympic lifts do. 100%, I think you get more training adaptations than the Olympic lifts. Because, there's, more sen- because there's eccentric loads. Like the one thing there's that always, you know, in the Olympic yeah. movements, there's not an eccentric uh, component. 
Right. You know? And that's where, and, and it's cyclical. Like, what's the thing you can do with a clean? Okay, you clean it, you drop it. Let's reset back up. You clean it, you drop it. Now you can do the hang clean, jumping jack, bar pumps all you want, but this is something that is controlled. It's cyclical and it's at high velocity, high eccentric velocities, just like you're talking about. And to me, it's safer. Like, think about when snatches and cleans were probably introduced to athletes back in the day. I bet that seemed like the most dangerous thing in the world. You're like, oh my God, you're taking a bar over your head, like really, really fast. And then people look and see us doing kettlebell partner passing and they're like, Oh my God, aren't you afraid it's going to hit your foot? Like, dude, like, there's way more dangerous shit out there than there is. It's coming at you at like one mile an hour. Dude, it's one not mile even that big of a deal. Yeah, it's not that big of a deal. And it's going to be in your center of mass. Like, there's no way it's going to deep. You take a 203 and throw it left or right. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, no, it ain't happening. It's only going one way straight ahead. But I will say, no way, when we were doing, because uh, we did some cinder block throws, uh, just kind of putts oh, yeah. around. Same, same concept. Yeah, because we got our guys doing cinder block work. Uh, if they don't have equipment and uh, it's really, it's really easy. Like it really is easy. Even when McQuilkin's over here, just spinning and flipping. Daisy? Willy nilly. You mean Daisy hands? Oh no, John, it's, it's like my dance moves. I'm on point with this stuff, but I've been practicing some of the stuff I've seen on Corey's Instagram yeah. just in preparation for the conversation. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I got that rhythm. Mm. Mm. But uh, but point being, one one kind of went wild on me, and it was really easy to see that it was going, it was right. veering to my right, and I right. just had to kind of get out of the way, and then you right. just kind of like boom, you know, just let it go. Yeah. yeah, and it's and that's where it's like to me, it's not that it's not as dangerous as barbell back squatting the world. Mm-hmm. Like when you put a one rep max or two, even a three rep max on a guy that's really not that strong to begin with and doesn't have a lot of experience. I think that's way more dangerous. Oh, and here was the point. If you fail, it just falls. There's no way you can catch it bad because there's no way you can stop that force in a disadvantageous state. It just goes to the ground. There's no way I can catch it with a rounded back and be able to successfully get back into position and redistribute that force. And that's why I highly suggest you got to go heavy early because at lightweights, you can do that. At lightweights, if I take like a 26 kilo, I can catch it terribly and still get the task done. But once you get above 100, there's no chance. There's no way it's going to hit the ground. And that's where like for the first time, I think in iron history, where you say, yeah, I think you should go heavy in the beginning. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, that makes sense. Yeah. There's no like point of no return, right? So you're not going to hundred percent. And it's so big. Like you only have a small window of opportunity. Mm-hmm. And when you slow down the video, so for instance, if you guys do this, do a side view. And if you slow down the video and just pause it right at the point where you're redistributing forces to the other direction, just look at that movement. looks like you're about to jump. How, looks uh, like, how close are you guys? Uh, it depends. Uh, if we're the lighter bells, I get pretty far apart. It's almost like a broad jump without the jumping aspect. Uh, but when you're the two Oh three, I mean, you're basically nose to nose. Yeah, yeah tip, I mean, it's, tip it's, to tip. Tip to tip, if you will. Tip to tip. On tip, that to one. tip. Let's do it tomorrow, Tex. That's <laughs> why wait. Oh God, <laughs> Adam, boy. dude, I, I like. Let me make sure I'm there to video this. I want to see you guys fucking try to pick up that two hundred three. Are you? What do you? What's your recommendation here? Let's say your good buddies, like in terms of clothing, do you wear it or do you not wear it? Okay, that's actually funny. At Stanford, <laughs> I would only wear compressions. Oh. And I would only wear compressions because there's a couple incidences where I was catching it and my thumb got stuck in the shorts. 
yeah, or in so loose clothing. And I was like, I don't so like we're gonna that. Have to ditch those pants, McQuilkin. Finally. Yeah, just gloves <laughs> here's your excuse, Delman. You're masks. welcome. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, but but when it's heavy, you guys can't go six feet apart. So are you guys gonna wear like the full body condoms, like from the Naked Gun? Yes. <laughs> okay. Good. Yes. Yes. Uh, that's absolutely right. Oh, <sighs> um, we got anything else for Corey? We're we're gonna save it for next time because right. we're at two hours right now yeah. and yeah. not through oh, wow. stuff. Yeah. Nice job, team. Nice job. Yeah, yeah. We good did. job. Good job. We did it. We did it again. Well, okay. How about this? Corey, if people want to see you do the Jazzy Bells, what's your social? Jazzy Bells. Uh, my social is uh, Slesh Strength, S-C-H-L-E-S Strength. Once again, S-C-H-L-E-S Strength on Instagram. And that's where you can see me do Jazzy Bells. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'll, I'll be honest, I'm a huge component of it. Uh, you'll see different aspects and qualities being trained. You can train for quote-unquote max effort strength mm-hmm. all the way to absolute velocity. And that's what I, I really like about the Jazzy Bills. And we can train in different planes. So. Yeah, no, it, it's legit, man. I, I, well, uh, I, there's one of him basically just doing the running man. Yeah. Like, like, that's a dance move. This is something that that's Tex does. Said. You, this is what Tex does out at the, at the 290 West. You can bring that to the hey, club. Now, do that with the, what is it, the 96? I think the second video is with the heavier one. Yeah. And you'll, you'll learn a little bit about yourself on that one. I believe it, dude. I believe it. Honestly, man, it's a great chat. I appreciate you taking the time uh, to to hop on Power Athlete Radio, and I guess your patience for the first 50 minutes while we talked about Billy Madison. Nothing. <laughs> well, you know what? At least he wasn't like, uh, click, disconnect. He's like, I like that movie. Yeah, no, he's like, that was pretty interesting. It's, and, and, I, and like I have to say, like being on other podcasts, like where people are like... OPP? And then... Other people's <laughs> podcasts? And then, how did you train them? And then they go on mute, and then they're over there fucking around the computer, and they're like, and, and then what kind of shoes do they wear? And then they're like this, and you're like... Am I just talking to myself? Like, this is, I feel like an, uh, an interview, like a, like a job interview. I want to get on. I want to have some banter. I want to have shtick. 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 There you go. Which yeah, is, yeah. it's not just what Tex removes out of his ass every morning. <laughs> Burn bands. Whoa. Shtick up your ass. This afternoon roast. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Corey. Hey, man, have a, have a pleasant rest of the day. Thank you for listening, Power Athlete Nation. Thank you for joining, Corey. Thank you guys for being so pleasant. To be around. You guys are awesome. Thank you. Friend of podcast, John Bobo. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Please come again. Make sure the levels fall from low. I got the girls shining in Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Corey can be found on Instagram under the handle at Schles Strength, where you can see him performing an array of skills with some of our favorite pieces of equipment. Until next time, bye.